You're listening to episode 121 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. I just can't believe that President Wilson Fisk declared a state of emergency to help find Vanessa. Seems like a waste of, like, resources, right? You'd think he could get the FBI on that junk. Why does he have to declare an entire state of emergency to find his wife? When she's in the next room. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. You wouldn't declare a state of emergency to find Vanessa? I definitely wouldn't. I, I've i never even met Vanessa. And frankly, I still remember when she wore a jacket that says, I don't care, do you? And I thought well, that was pretty in poor taste. <laughs> I was going to say, there's there's a joke somewhere about him not being able to find his penis when it's right in front of him, so I can't imagine how hard uh, it is to find his wife a room away, but... Why did he describe it looking like Toad from Mario Kart? Wilson Fisk, what's wrong with you? Well, that wasn't him, that was Princess Daisy. <laughs> We're mixing a lot of lores up here. Wow. <laughs> Does that make Charlie Bartlett Mario? Charlie Bartlett? The, the, What's his name? That's that's a movie starring uh, Anton yeah. Charlie Malkin. Charlie Bartlett is Daredevil. <laughs> I'm lost. Uh, so We're like four layers of pop culture deep yeah. here. Pull us up, Sean. <laughs> yeah. Um if you're if you're listening to this for whatever reason, uh chances are you're lost too, so um, we'll move on from that. Thank you very much, Phil. Yeah. Uh, and thank you guys for joining us on another edition of the Comics Pals. We've got a lot to talk about today, uh, including some more news about Batfleck and maybe the last update we'll ever have on that subject. Nudes? No. Batfleck nudes? No. no. <laughs> Those were in Batman Damned number one. Wait, Ben Affleck got noodles? Uh, we're also going to be talking about uh, some new shows developing over at Hulu, Marvel shows. Lots of exciting stuff to get into. But We we finally got picked up by Hulu. Hulu doesn't do podcasts. Oh, shit. I thought we were getting our own TV show. Sadly, no. <laughs> that day's coming, listeners. I promise you. I don't promise you. Phil's out there. Phil's out there on the soapbox standing for us. It's like, come on. Give us a half hour weekly show. Do it, cowards. <laughs> do it, you cowards. They wouldn't They wouldn't do it for a half hour, for sure. <laughs> so how long would it be? Oh, what? It'd be three hours, right? Just at, like at, the view. At, at least two and a half. <laughs> can, can you imagine how hard it would be for us to produce a like a weekly half hour show like that? We would, we'd be going over time every week. We should try that. Marco would never say anything. It'd be Sean going on the show himself. <laughs> <laughs> Every episode, there's two and a half hours of deleted scenes that you can find on on the uh, comics. Pal Smooth. Uh, Marco's on this episode. He just hasn't gotten a word in edgewise yet. It's just like the TV show. Keep your mouth shut, Marco. <laughs> uh, sadly, that isn't true. Marco is actually not here. He is. Uh, he's in the wind somewhere. I actually have no idea where Marco is. So while well, fucking. Yeah. So. Uh, before we jump into the meat of things, I do want to let you guys know where you can find us. Uh, we are on all podcast hosting platforms, pretty much, uh, including SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts, so make sure to check us out on there. Uh, we are at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com, and last but not least, if you are watching this on YouTube, thank you very much. You can drop us a like. Share this video with your with your friends. Uh, leave us a comment and subscribe to our channel. 
All of those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. And when I say they're free to do, I mean they're absolutely free. So go go, uh, go be good to us. We're good to you. We put out lots of great content on a weekly basis. I mean, your mileage may vary. We do put uh-huh. out a lot of content. Um, we put out content. Last week's show was good. <laughs> we put out content. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Um, including. Is that our new? Is that our new motto? The comics pals. We put yeah, out content. Yeah. Uh, including some pretty good book club stuff. All right. Uh, eventually, I'll get words out. Um, we uh, we put out some book club stuff. At the end of the month, we've got Captain Marvel coming out for you guys. Uh, most recently, we did Hellboy. And we did Klaus, so uh, really enjoyable stuff, so go check those out. Um, And then, of course, Phil and I did a pair of wrestling specials for the Royal Rumble, so if for some reason you're behind the curve on that, you can go check those out. Uh, They're fun, so give them a listen. True. I got got a a question for you guys, and it's it's kind of weird and has nothing to do with comics, so hopefully you guys will bear with me. Um, but I've been thinking about this a lot. Uh, you know, I, I've been thinking about, like, th- ways that people used to refer to each other that they don't anymore. So, like, words that people used to use to address others that, that are just gone. So I'll give you an example, right? Um, no one says anymore, like, hey, pimp, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah no one, that's fair. No, no one says sure. that. So, an example similar to that. Do you guys have any? I'm just curious. This is random, I know. <laughs> the the thing that's most interesting to me about this is I I feel like Sean has an angle, but I can't for the fucking life of me think where this is going. <laughs> no, I'm putting my foot down there. This isn't comic, comic book related, so it can't be a random question of the week. The hard age At least not hombre. yet. Um, I'm trying to think. The first thing that came to mind for me was like hombre, or like, or like, or like, or like hoss. Yeah, every now and then you hear hoss. Um, I'll I'll be dead in the cold hard ground when calling someone slut casually mm. goes out. Of yeah, style. yeah like, ironically yeah. though. Yeah, it used to, that used to be sincere. That was a time. <laughs> hombre, yes. <laughs> Money, that's another one, eh? Money. (laughs) 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 Just put down the show. I thought you guys would be better at this. Sucker. (laughs) (laughs) Kel, you're from the Midwest. It should be like, hello there, farmer. First of all, why did you become black for that? Second of all, when was that ever in style? Uh, people still say that. Player? Do people still player. say player? That's a good one. No one says player Player's anymore. a good one. I love that. Cat. Cat. Oh, cat. Cat's a good one. Yeah. Dog? The dog. Yeah, that's around. Dog's around. Um, in Liverpool, and this doesn't answer the question, but it's in, in, uh, a tangentially related, uh, they say Bird. That's fucking ridiculous. Women, I love that. Women are birds. Oh, that's because time damn. stands still in Liverpool, and it's still going strong. <laughs> time is a flat circle, just like the Earth. <laughs> yeah, 
Jesus. Well, I thought this was a comic book show. We're talking about played out slang, and now we're talking about flat earth theory. Uh, What's going on? You know on? what? I don't know, man. I just really woke up feeling weird, and I've been thinking about the old days, and I just wanted to talk about old slang. I don't know. I got I got weird energy yeah. this week. <laughs> I, I think the chemtrails are negatively affecting Sean. That's <laughs> very possible. There's that there's that uh, Captain America panel where he calls Iron Man Dick or something. He needs some good old fashioned dick. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no. Yeah. I don't. There's the, uh, there's uh there's one with the joke the Joker like that too. Yeah. Well, that's because no, there's that famous there's that famous 40s Joker comic where he's like, "I'm gonna pull the boner of the century." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. That's wow. it. Wow. All right. Uh. So. That was that was uh, something. Um, I, I I think I think I needed Marco on the show for this to really work. I think I I like the idea of that as a segment though, where Sean just brings something up and he's like, "Well, that was something." Yeah, you know what are you gonna do? Uh, so instead, we'll move on and uh, no, wait, what? is that it? Was that it really? Yeah, that's it. That's all I, got. <laughs> I literally just wanted to talk about old slang. Goddamn! All right, Skip. I'm not a genius, you know. Um, let's do some listener mail. We've got some words from Ryan. <laughs> I'm What's so, so funny? I don't understand. <laughs> I just like the most disorienting thing in, in 122 episodes. It's fun. First, yeah, 100, 122 episodes. The first time Sean's like, I don't know what the fuck I want to talk about. Hey, you guys know? Is this is this episode 121? <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, it is. Shit. Uh, that's what I said at the start of the show, but then you guys said 122, and I was like, oh, my God. Did I announce it I just it went with what Pete said. Yeah, well, you know. We got- well, I'm, I'm counting the Lost Pilot episode, so. Well, counts. then it'd be like 123. <laughs> it'd be like 127. All right. <laughs> All right, so Ryan wrote in, and he said, hi, guys. I want to thank you for dedicating a generous block of time to answer my email about breaking into the comics industry a few shows back. You all gave excellent advice. Phil, I won't be calling Jeff Johns, but that story was crazy. And I am definitely rethinking my approach as a result. Truth be told, I just want to get the book made, and if I need to self-publish, I'll find a way. I want to finish out the script first, and then I'm going to try to cut it down from eight issues to five. I'm already thinking of parts I can cut and ways I can shorten scenes to get my points across more quickly. Before I start cutting it down, I think I'll try to exercise or I'll try that exercise of writing a two-page story to get me in that mindset. Again, many thanks all around. Now, Sean. How did you like that criminal action from Brubaker and Phillips? At the time I'm writing this, I haven't read issue two, but I thought the first was the first one was excellent. Most of the protagonists from the original criminal series are terribly flawed and not very likable, but I became invested in their stories anyway. I think it's because I often think about how flawed I am, which really allows me to feel their pain throughout each story. And speaking of love and relationships in comics, I really like the way that Brubaker and Phillips use love scenes to elevate their stories. You can always feel the characters' passion and yearning for each other, which the creators often juxtapose with emotional inner monologues that show us just how desperately they need an escape. You want to respond to that, Sean? Sure. Uh, yeah, I really, really love Criminal so far. The first issue was fantastic and, you know... When you're talking about Brubaker and Phillips, you really don't expect anything less than that because they are so fantastic, um, and they've been working together for uh, 20 years. So that's what happens when you have that kind of chemistry over that many years. Uh, that being said, 
Um, I really am wondering why it is you think about how flawed you are all the time. And if you can relate to the characters from Criminal, I'm scared of you. Uh, <laughs> uh, Teague Lawless is a dark human, and so are all the rest of those cats. So, um, yeah, that's a little weird. <laughs> what? When Ryan's not creating or talking about good art, he's not cracking skulls. <laughs> and stealing. Um, but to address your point about the <laughs> the, the sex scenes in the book, um, the, Ooh, was sorry, not what he said. He said he said <laughs> love. I said sex. They mean the same thing. Well, that's is that true? Uh, yeah, that's, that's that, definitely yeah. what he meant. He said you can feel the characters' passion and yearning for each other. Like I definitely think he's talking about sex, Kale. I know you haven't heard a lot about that out in the Midwest, <laughs> but. In the puritanical West, I guess they don't do that. Babies just appear. <laughs> um, but no, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with your point. I really like seeing uh, damaged people find each other and just kind of use each other as a way of escaping from reality for a few minutes. That's and, why Sean likes this show. Uh, yeah, actually. Um, that's also why I really enjoyed seeing Punisher hook up with that um, woman. Uh, I can't remember yeah. her name, Beth. Yeah, from uh, season two for that same reason. And so, uh, yeah, I totally agree with everything you said about Criminal. Uh, so I also read Witch Hammer by Cullen Bunn, the first ever OGN from Aftershock. I really dug this, and I think I'll check out more of Bunn's work. I've also been reading The Losers by Andy Diggle. I love this book because it's basically an action movie in comic format. I also read Abbott by Saladin Ahmed, and I thought that was pretty cool as well. Abbott herself was an awesome character, and as and as I think of ways to improve my own script, I keep coming back to this book as a good example of tight storytelling. I have to say, I also love the first issue of the rebooted Buffy. I don't normally buy books for the artist, but this one was an exception. Dan Mora is out of this world. I loved him on Klaus, and I think his work on Buffy might be even better. That's my story, boys. Thanks again for reading. Sincerely, Ryan. P.S. Sean and uh, Phil and Sean, please tell me about the time that you met Grant Morrison. Cool. So we'll address that part at the end. Um, so, Kale, you missed the episode where Ryan wrote in to talk about his endeavors to try to, you know, break into the comics industry and, you know, put out his story. Um, and so you weren't able to speak on that. Um, do you want to address what he's saying here? Do you feel like you, you can? There's not a ton that I, I did I did listen to what you guys had to say and I, I do feel like you guys covered great ground. Um, um, like he said, stellar advice, boys. But I guess the one thing I would say, just based on this email alone, is is that he 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 said that he wants to concentrate on on finishing the script. And I would say even more than going out and and getting an artist and and doing all those things, finish the thing. Um, that that's the of the utmost importance no matter how long it is um, finish it and then work on uh, shortening it and and then work on you know uh, trimming it down and and uh, doing all your editing just get it out yeah <clears throat> finished is better than perfect <laughs> yes absolutely um, the other thing is um, 2000 AD it has opened their submissions for their future shocks um, and for writers they take uh, four page scripts but they have to be like a full story um, I would highly recommend that exercise similar to the two page one but I would never um, sub subject my torture subject myself to the torture of a two page story uh, but four is a, a good 
a good length, I think. So, 2008 is a great way to start for sure. I mean, they uh, a lot of great writers and artists have uh, begun their comic book careers through the Future Shock submission, so it's worth a, it's worth a look. And they've got uh, downloadable um, example scripts that are, I mean, even just as like sample scripts alone, they're tremendous stories. Yeah, um, I think you're on the right track with that, Ryan. Um, and I would, I would strongly consider, and I, I, I've given this advice quite a bit in the past, and you know, it always sucks to hear. It sucks for me to hear, but it is what it is. I would strongly consider spending some time uh like considerable time just working on the process of telling stories and completing them uh mm-hmm. two pages mm-hmm. four pages five pages whatever it is that you do um stories that you know you 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 come up with out of the blue not necessarily whatever this you know big ideas that you have just smaller things that you can just bang out whether they ever get made or not is irrelevant in terms of an artist actually working on them. It's just more important that you get in the rhythm of um, working on comic scripts and figuring out what you like and don't like. And um, one of the things that I found I found valuable was finding some people, whether it's just one person or several people who you trust, and send them your script um, because. It, it, they don't need to necessarily read comics and, and understand comics. It's better if they do. But even if they don't, um, if they can't understand what you're trying to get across, then you need to tweak it. Um, and one thing that really helped me, like more than a lot of things that we've discussed, is actually reading the dialogue out loud. That's one of the biggest things yep. that helped me. Because then you understand, oh, this doesn't sound like actual speaking. Or this doesn't make any sense when you think about it. Stuff like that. Really, really helpful. So, um, yeah. yeah. And, like, you'll pick up on, like, the rhythm of the conversations that you're trying to write and everything like that. Like, that's – I think that's really, really salient advice. I think that's true of any writing. The best way to see if it's any good is reading it out loud. But, um, again, I'd like to double down on the point that Sean just made there and say that, uh, you know, there's – that – I forget the name of the the guy who puts forth this – this theory, but there's the whole theory of you need to spend like 10,000 hours on something to become an expert at it. And I think even if you minimize that, uh, I've always looked at it as the first hundred, like if you want to be a comic writer, if that's what you want to do, if you want to make comics, you need to accept that the first hundred comics you make might suck, you know, and they probably will suck. And that's not because you're bad or because you don't have talent. It's because you don't know what you're doing and you're new. You know, like <clears throat> you listen to our podcast now, none of this was none of our first podcasts. You know, each of us had had some experience beforehand. And if you go back and listen at our first couple episodes, they suck. And that's, you know, it's all part of the process is like learning what you're doing. And I definitely believe that the best way to learn to do something is by doing it, you know, um, not just by like practicing some of the elements of it, you know, like write a complete and and finished comic story and then write 10 more and see how you feel about the first one when you're done with your 10th one you know and i think again i i think it's good that you're still working on your big project and you're thinking about how you can improve it and how you can edit it and how you can make it uh more ready for success but again i if that's your big idea if that's the story you really just gotta tell like save it man save it until you're better 
you know, um, better writers than any of us have have given us that advice. You know, it's it's just like you don't want to the first thing you do to be the thing you want to be your magnum opus because it's never going to live up to the goal you have for it in your head if you start when you're still a novice. And again, that's not a dig, right? Like that's just the nature of creativity. Like it's a skill you need to hone. It's not like a gift that you're just like imbued with, you know? Indeed. Um, so what else did you say? Yeah, Abbott is really good. Uh, Saladin and Man's a great writer. I recommend following his work. Uh, the rebooted Buffy was awesome. I talked about that a couple weeks ago. Uh, Dan Moore is a fantastic artist. And uh, so that leaves the question about uh, Phil and I meeting Grant Morrison. Phil, you want to talk about that? I believe Sean and I went to Mecca. We were on a pilgrimage. <laughs> and lo and behold, in the smallest shack, there was a god. And we went in and they blessed us. With his wisdom and his kindness. It was a great day. It was. <laughs> we, we were at New York Comic Con and uh, uh, we go to these conventions to work and interview people. And uh, this is just maybe six or seven months after Grant had taken over as editor of Heavy Metal Magazine. And he wasn't advertised uh, to be there at all except for a panel for the sci-fi show Happy. And we were just walking on the main floor. We just saw him hanging out at the heavy metal booth, and no one was there. Yeah. And uh, we just went over and uh, we sent our pleasantries. And uh, I think Pete took a picture of Sean and I with him, and he was really friendly, really welcoming. Um, they always say, don't meet your heroes, but uh, I think for me and Sean, uh, that was a day where it was worth meeting one of your heroes. Yeah, uh, I got very emotional when I met him. Um, I definitely was teary-eyed for sure, um, and it was um, it was <laughs> it's you know it's funny because we joke about you know having an altar to Grant Morrison and all that kind of stuff, but I really did feel like I was meeting one of my idols, one of my inspirations in a lot of ways. The first time I ever wrote. A, a comic book the first time I ever had an idea for something that would be a comic book was because of an issue of Batman that I read by Grant so um, you know almost 10 years later I'm meeting the very guy it's mind-blowing hey we're not the only ones with an altar to Grant Morrison later we're going to talk about the first episode of Umbrella Academy and there's a guy that has an altar to Grant Morrison Gerard Way <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thanks for writing in Ryan we really appreciate it yeah, um, if you got a chance to meet Grant, uh, go for it. He's a super dude. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the Pals Pulls this week is going to be super short. Um, I chose American Carnage number four. Brian Edward Hill has been doing an absolutely phenomenal job with this story. I think that there are a lot of people who might find it uncomfortable to read because it is very, very racially motivated. Um, it's a book about a... FB, an FBI agent or a former FBI agent or whatever who can pass, who's who's a, a black man, a mixed man who can pass as white and he infiltrates a group of, a, a racist group to bring them down as revenge for them murdering an FBI agent. That's pretty much the story. It's heavy. 
Um, and really good. So I recommend it highly. But again, it, it you know it's it's a it's not an easy read. It's intense. So it is absolutely intense. Yeah. So um, read at your own risk. It's uh, out of that Vertigo camp, the new Vertigo books um, that uh, DC's putting out, which we're going to be talking about in a little bit, and how successful or unsuccessful that entire initiative has been so far. But before we get into that, let's jump into the news. Because we're talking Hulu. Hulu made a huge announcement this week that four Marvel animated shows have been ordered by Hulu. And a more eclectic cast of characters, I don't know if you could put together. We're talking about Howard the Duck. Hell yeah. Modoc. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hit Monkey. Tigra. And Dazzler. Hit monkey? I have no idea hit who monkey. hit monkey is. Hit monkey's the man. I've never heard. Hit monkey is the man. Never heard. Uh, he's he hasn't appeared a lot in in like modern Marvel comics. Um, my familiarity with him comes from ooh, when was it? It was I think it might have been during the Fear itself era. It was it, it's one of those like eras of of Marvel. Um, those like 2006 to 2012-ish periods. Okay. Um, I can't remember exactly which one it was, but um, yeah. Is he in Agents of Atlas? No. His first appearance was Deadpool Volume 4, number 19, April 2010. Okay. There you go. There you go. Um, But he, he hasn't really like stuck around a lot. Um. So it's interesting that they chose him for this. But then there's also the Tigra and Dazzler show, which is just a weird, an interesting yeah. pairing. Um, but that could be a lot of fun, actually. Because Dazzler as a character is fun. And I really like Tigra, too. So um, She looks like a Thundercat. The, the thing that's most interesting to me is the people that they have uh, attached. Yeah. Because, um, like you just mentioned, Tigra and Dazzler, and one of the the lead writers is going to be Chelsea Handler, which is super weird. Well, let's get into it. It's for Howard the Duck. Uh, it's going to be written and executive produced by Kevin Smith and Dave Willis. Let's go. Obviously, we know Smith. Um, Pass. <laughs> Pass yourself, uh, well, Phil. I wish yep. I could pass you. You're like like all the food in my stomach this week. It's just sitting there like a ball of hatred. Oh my god! That's that's something listeners definitely did not need to hey. hear. <laughs> and so Willis also worked on Aqua Teen Hunger Force and Squidbillies uh, for Adult Swim. Fucking all right. One of, that's the kind of attitude I want on on a Howard yeah, the Duck show. One of show. those two shows is good. They're both good. Uh, pass. pass. Either way, that sounds like the right mixture yeah. of creators, right? I agree. Yeah. Um, I think that's like a slam dunk. I, I think I'm lukewarm on Kevin Smith, and I'm not sure if it's because I've absorbed some of the Twitter comic book uh, cynicism. Like, I'm not sure why I'm lukewarm on Kevin Smith. Right. It's, uh, well, it's easy. He's only made one good movie ever. Get the fuck out of here. I'm not like uh, to 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 fucking quote Tom Hardy in one of his most memorable roles. That's bait. Yeah, <laughs> you can tell by the instant laugh too. Yeah. Like the instant like no, 
it's like I, I said this to Phil the other day. Like he's literally a thief of joy. He's a thief Give of joy. Give me that joy. <laughs> Yummy. You don't deserve happiness. So I need it. The the premise behind the Howard the Duck series is that he is trapped in a world he never made, but America's fight favorite fighting foul hopes to return home with the help of his unstoppable gal pal Beverly before the evil Dr. Bong can turn him can turn him into the crispiest oh dish on the menu. <laughs> Dr. <All right>. Bong. <laughs> A world he never made. I, that's what it says here in the Variety article. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, know, man. Um, huh. Modoc is going to be written and executive produced by Jordan Bloom and Patton Oswald. Yep. Now we're talking. Uh, now we're talking. So for those who aren't familiar, Bloom uh, worked on Community and American Dad. And then uh, Patton Oswald is obviously, you know, a well-known. Patton Oswald. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, what? What's wrong? <laughs> No, he was he, Patton Oswald is Patton Oswald. Yeah, he was just oh, saying. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, he's yeah, kind of yeah. like I feel like Kevin Smith in that regard. Like you don't really need an introduction for him. Fair enough. Fair enough. He did. He did some time on you know King of Queens. You know he's all he's been in. There's like a list of like six things that they have for his credits, and it's like it's not even like a fucking. It's not even a ding on his resume. <laughs> My dude, works. I didn't even know he was on King of Queens. That's that's interesting. Um. So yeah, the the premise there uh says the show will center around an egomaniacal supervillain with a really big head and a really little body who struggles to maintain control of his evil organization and his demanding family that is so random i love that pitch though i love the idea of it being like a family sitcom where like it's just like Bob's Burgers, but starring Modoc. Like that's what that sounds like to me. He's trying to keep his business afloat, and his family's like all up his ass. Like that sounds hilarious. Like <laughs> if Modoc isn't voiced by Patton Oswalt, then this whole thing's it's a gonna missed flop. Opportunity. Like there's no there's no way he's not gonna do the voice work. So when it comes to Hit Monkey, that's gonna be written and executive produced by Jordan Josh Gordon and Will Speck who worked on Blades of Glory and Office Christmas Party. I don't know what Office Christmas Party is, but I remember thinking Blades of Glory was quite funny when I was like 14 or whatever when it came out. Yeah. yeah. This was one of that, that era of Will Ferrell movies. Office Christmas Party, I think, came out recently, fairly recently, within the past couple of years. And um, it was, you know, one of those knockoff Office comedies right i think it had Kristen wig in it and w- not will arnett um the other one jason bateman mm, okay i think was it any good i don't i doubt it okay whoa those are both good people i didn't that that wasn't the question <laughs> yeah <laughs> i also i also have it on um pretty decent authority that um wait did i say Kristen wig you did. Yes. I meant, um, fuck, oh who's a blonde God, lady? Grandpa. Who's a blonde? Oh, from SNL, the one that everybody loves now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Chris, Kristen McKinnon? Or Kate no. McKinnon? Yes, Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon, yeah. Um, she was in it. Um, okay. And I have she's it on good, good authority that she's not great. All right. Uh, so the premise behind Hit Monkey <laughs> is uh, it'll tell the tale of a wronged Japanese snow monkey, mentored by the ghost of an American assassin as he cuts a wide swath through the Tokyo underworld. 
That sounds awesome. What? You cannot tell me that doesn't sound fantastic. Sean, that's like a perfect Venn diagram of weird, specific things that you're a fan of. I'm with it. I'm absolutely with it. It's weird that a, a Japanese anything would need advice from an American on anything. <sighs> Listen, man. He's a monkey. All right? It's not real. Listen, Americans suck. Let's get that straight. Like, <laughs> You know, your self-hate has permeated every element of this show, and I'm done with it. All right? Uh, listen, I, I assume that's why I was hired. I don't... <laughs> self-hating Christian, self-hating American, self-hating man, self-hating white guy. Yep. Is there any segment we can get to where Kale's not just like, well, I suck? Hey, listen, I live with myself. No. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so then the last show we've got here is Tigra and Dazzler, which is going to be worked on by Erica Rivenoja and Chelsea Handler. Um, so Rivenoja is known for uh, Girls Trip, and she worked on shows like, oh, wow, she worked on South Park um, and uh, a few other things. And obviously, Chelsea Handler is Chelsea Handler. Uh, no premise listed for this show, though. Probably the most far off, I guess. Yeah, I would imagine so. Because, like, it's like the further down you go, like, I feel like the less detailed the like descriptions are. So, like, it feels like maybe that's a little of a ways off. Yeah, fair enough. So, what do you guys make? These of are this? hype, though. Yeah, yeah. This these are these are really cool announcements. I'm into this. Like. I love animation in general, and I I generally am more jazzed about, like, at least on its face, I guess, anyway, the idea of an animated adaption for any of these characters or any of these kinds of properties, especially if they're, like, attracting top-tier talent and are going to be aimed at, like, an all-ages audience or, like, a more adult audience, um, as you'd imagine in the case of at least some of these. Uh, just because I think that generally speaking, like animation is an easier transition to make for a comic than like a live action adaption. Like as much as I'd be down for like a live action Howard the Duck, I feel like you're going to get a lot, probably a lot better, more high quality experience from it as an animated show, because I think like it's just an easier mark to hit and I feel like you're going to get away with more. Um, so yeah, like, I, again, like all of these creative teams, like have some people with some, some good chops, some of them that I'm fans of and the ones that I'm not like, I'm interested enough in the premise or like, you know, it seems like they have enough work under their belt that like they could produce something really high quality. So yeah, I'll definitely be tuning in for these. If I had Hulu, um, I, I can definitely say I would want to watch at least hit monkey and tiger and death. <laughs> So, so the the two the two good ones. He, Sean's just like nah. What do you mean, Howard the Duck and Modoc? Nah, Sean's not here for that. I I would say I'm more interested in those two, but I think I I mean I'm down for any of these. You know, like obviously Tiger and Dazzler. There's like literally no information, but like Chelsea Handler's funny. Like I'll give that one a shot. But I'm all in with Sean on the revenge story about a Japanese snow monkey. That sounds fucking baller. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, I'm good. 
Okay. Do you want? But what about the shows? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm good. Don't need to watch any of these. Don't. Just, nah, I'm good. Bill doesn't enjoy things. I love things, but I'm good. <laughs> I I feel you on not needing them. I get that, but I think. Um, you know, if I have an extra half hour, because I'm assuming these will be half hour joints, uh, I can I can definitely tune into one of these and and have a you know have a good time. Uh, not necessarily in my typical wheelhouse, but hey, the Netflix shows are done, so I got time on my hands. R.I.P. Man. Yeah. Um, this isn't in the news, but there was some scuttlebutt that. Uh, Hulu might want to pick these shows up, the Netflix shows. That ain't happening. Yeah, it happened. They said they the the guy at Hulu was like, "We've got a good relationship with uh, Marvel. Yeah, we'll take them." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I bet you fucking will. You charity case. <laughs> I'm sure Netflix would be chill with that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's not like they have a two year clause or anything. Um, but uh, yeah, so we probably won't see hide nor hair from these shows for a little while now. But I certainly uh, won't see high of hair of these shows at all, so I won't watch them. Um, any feathers on the horizon? Or Sorry, uh, not well, catching a drift. Yeah, 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 Howard the Duck is coming out at some point. Don't worry. He's a, he's a duck. Ducks have as foul oh, as Howard the Duck yeah. is. Alright. My <laughs> god, you guys have killed all my enthusiasm for this segment. Let's move on. Agreed. Just a bunch of quackers. So, let's talk about another Marvel series that is impending. Uh, this time we're going to be talking about Loki. So, Loki is coming to the Disney Plus streaming service, and we've talked about that quite a bit. Um, the streaming service is likely going to launch sometime this year. We haven't heard too many information pieces about it, but I think... Closer to spring, we'll start to hear about it. Around around Infinity War, or rather, um, uh, Endgame, we'll start to hear more about it. But, according to Variety, we now have a showrunner, uh, Michael Waldron, who previously worked on Rick and Morty. Um, huh. And that's interesting, but what I really like about this, and can't wait to hear your thoughts on, is the premise for the show. Uh, so the premise is the following. It will it will reveal how Loki has an un, has been an unlikely influencer on historical events as he pops up throughout human history. So you can imagine him, you know, being the murderer of Franz Ferdinand, right? Or like someone who I, the the guy who killed Hitler, or you know, things like that, like different Hitler. Yeah, yeah, Hitler killed himself. Hitler, Hitler killed Hitler. <laughs> Okay, maybe Allegedly. Loki was whispering in his ear. Yeah, right, right. The whole thing, the whole thing is that uh, no one knows exactly what happened to Hitler. Exactly. That's what. Come on, guys, help me out. Um, I'm here. I'm helping. Thank you. So yeah, do you, what, what do you guys think of that premise? Yeah, hard pass. All right. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I gotta say I'm low key not interested in the show. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I just, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm open to these shows being good, but I think when we got the initial announcement of them, I, I expressed that I was just not super. Like, this is a thing. Like, I feel like I don't need, you know, like Loki, especially as a character that like we've gotten a lot of, 
over our time in the MCU, and it's like I'm not like itching for a show starring him. But like, if it's good, I'll give it a shot. But you know, Legion's apparently good, and I haven't watched that either, so maybe I won't. Right. All All I know is I'll watch it if Seth Rogen's in it. That'll be really good. Why are you just making a dig at Seth Rogen out of nowhere? What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> you're just a you're just a dick this episode. <laughs> Okay. Um, it sounds just like bad Doctor Who, really. Yeah. Is that what Doctor Who's about? Well, I mean, more or less. Doctor Who is bad Doctor Who. Fair. My God, Phil, I like, can you just stop with the spicy hot takes today? Oh, things that people like are dumb. Like, shut up. <laughs> You're like every dickhead on Twitter. <laughs> Phil is a dickhead on Twitter. <laughs> let me just let me just sling shit at things and people we're not even talking about because apparently that makes for good radio. <laughs> the further you get into your actual radio career, somehow you get worse at this. Oh man, I don't know, guys. I'll be watching this if I if I end up getting Disney Plus, which I can't imagine that I won't. I will be watching this. If you if you like it and you tell me it's good, I'll give it a shot. Here's the thing. How about I'll give you my Hulu login and you can watch Ninja Chimp and I'll watch this track. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, you can't you can't simultaneously shit on Phil for shitting on things people like <laughs> and then in, in prejudge this show and say it's gonna be trash. <laughs> that's that's fair. I mean it's gonna be trash. Like My dude's been pooping too much this week. Alright, well you're wrong, but you also didn't just come at Phil, so you get a pass. All right. Yeah. I still don't get the Seth Rogen thing. Me neither. That did was. I miss, totally did I miss bad. something? I like know. no, I don't think you did. I think it's just Phil being Phil, and he dropped off the. Call. And he's gone. <laughs> oh, good, he's gone. Let's go. Let's do the show. How many new segments can we get through before he comes back? Do a do a quick five by five. Oh my How God. many stories are left? Ten? Let's do all of them. <laughs> Ten, Jesus. <laughs> hey guys, Seth Rogen here. Ready to be on Loki. <laughs> I just... <laughs> Dude, <God>. weed. <laughs> you know, I actually don't care much for Seth Rogen myself, but uh, this is so random. Why are you doing this? Because <laughs> Phil's a fucking hack, that's why. Fair enough. Because I was thinking of the Hulu shows, how uh, the Kevin Smith one uh, just needs Seth Rogen to be complete, and we'd be good to go. <laughs> so right. I was like, alright, let's continue that trend. <laughs> hey guys, Seth Rogen here! So, moving right along, we've talked a, a lot about Disney and their acquisition of Fox and things like that. But we're not we're not quite getting into that. Um, instead, we're going to talk about is something that Disney CEO Bob Iger recently said that um, I think adds a little more context to the conversation that we've had about R-rated movies coming from Disney in a post-merger world. So he said the following. We do believe there is room for the Fox properties to exist without significant Disney influence over the nature of the content. Meaning that we see that there are certainly there's that there are 
oh sorry meaning that we see that there's certainly popularity that's the way it's worded amongst marvel fans for the r-rated deadpool films for instance we're going to continue in that business and there might be room for more of that so essentially saying that there's a there's a good chance there's a possibility that as long as it's money making they'll make those kind of movies so do you got i got a couple questions for you guys do you believe that do you think that means that deadpool 3 will actually happen and do you think ryan reynolds will stay around as deadpool doesn't disney have uh like a branch of their production company or something that does do um yes r-rated movies i believe it's touchstone pictures the the thing with that is that they're not branded as such like they're not branded disney films they're yeah. they're branded you know it's like uh a subsidiary of disney and it's branded Touch, on its own. yeah it's touchstone right yeah okay yeah. sorry it's it, touchstone is apparently currently dormant so i don't know if maybe they, re- they replaced that with something else but yeah they're they, they have they have owned a few different imprints like that that I, existed to do so I feel I, I I feel like that's not unreasonable, especially if they want money. Um, you know, I think it's it it would be a lot easier to put the Marvel stamp on that and still get the money they're looking for than put you know the Disney castle or whatever on it. Yeah, and I think like when it comes to the Marvel stamp, like obviously the MCU movies, none of them are rated R. But I think, like, despite the fact that they do have a lot of mass appeal with children, there's certainly plenty of, like, I don't want to say questionable, but, like, darker subject matter and stuff like that that has existed under that banner, you know? Um, They've dealt with some pretty uncomfortable stuff in those movies. So, like, I don't know. I don't feel like it's that much of a stretch for them to do something that's rated R. Like... I think it's interesting that he says, like, the Fox properties. Like, when let's be real, we're talking about Deadpool. Like, there's no other one of those properties that's worth salvaging. Well, Logan. Yeah, but are they going to make Logan 2? You know, like, I guess they could make a sequel about young, like, Well, I mean, but they would would make up an R-rated Wolverine film. They don't have to make a Logan 2, but they could do a X-Force was on the way movie in the vein of logan and the other thing is while a movie like infinity war is darker in its subject matter to an american audience there's a substantial difference between darker subject matter like infinity war which you know deals with kind of a more uh you know heavier question with life and death and stuff like that but to an american audience a rated r movie like deadpool has more questionable content like gratuitous violence, gratuitous sexuality, and uh, vulgarity, which is very different from having rooting subject matters. And that's sort of the difference here. So I don't think really that these Disney movies have ever really teetered on that line. Yeah, but you got to start somewhere. That's very fair. I don't think that there's any reason why they can't do this, although I will say that I've I've definitely been on the side of that they won't do it um, Mm. or that I didn't see them doing it. I don't know that that means we need other Marvel properties to go that route. Um, I know that Black Widow, they've talked a lot about, not they as in Marvel because they haven't talked about that movie at all, but rumblings and rumors have have talked about it being R-rated. That's cool. You want to make a Black Widow movie, you want to make it R-rated, I think that's fine. 
I don't feel like I need Avengers five to be R rated or not. Not that they yeah, would do no. that, but I don't think that they even need to go there with any of the core property that they have. But Deadpool, sure. Yeah, I think I think like to that point, it should just be based on like where it makes sense. Like a Deadpool movie has to be rated R to be true to Deadpool, you know. And I think if you want to do a Black Widow movie that's PG thirteen, that's possible. But I think if you wanted to explore, you know, her past or like some of the more unsavory things that she does when she's not out being an Avenger, like there's that that would make sense too, you know. And I think like in the same way that it, it makes sense for, or at least it made sense for Logan to be an R-rated movie. Wolverine's one of those characters I also feel like could go either way. Like, you could make a good PG-13 Wolverine movie. You could make a good R-rated Wolverine movie. It's really a matter of, like, what you're trying to do or say with the character. And I like the idea of them being open to it. I don't think that means they need to be, like, slavish to it. So, to that point, when you bring up Wolverine, I feel like... So, he's one of those characters where a Logan film, you know, what we got with that movie... Makes yeah. perfect sense, right? If you're going to call out any big two character and say make an R-rated movie, he's the one I think most people would jump at and go, oh, yeah, Wolverine. Um, the problem is that I think that there's probably more money in a PG-13 Wolverine movie just off the fact that you can have kids go to it. So For sure. that being the case, would we ever get Logan under Marvel? Probably not. No, and that's been my. I don't think so. That's been my issue. That's been my. That's been an issue of mine uh, in this larger context for the whole time. It's going to be interesting to follow this um, and how how this all shakes out. Um, I hope though, because so far I feel like Marvel has done a great job sticking true to their characters. So as long as they continue to do that, whatever they do will work. Right? Yeah. I, I think, like, that's what it ultimately comes down to for me because, like, I think, like, with the exception of a character like Wolverine, I don't know that there are that many major characters, or any characters, really, that, like, exist in that weird gray area where they could work as PG-13 or as rated R. You know, like, again, I think Black Widow is an example that makes sense, but there aren't that many other characters. I feel like a lot of characters, it's pretty clear, like, if you were going to make a movie about them, these are these are the things you got to do. So, like, a Punisher movie should be rated R, right? Like, I think a Howard the Duck movie would have to be rated R, you know? Like, um, but how many other characters are there in, in the big two that are, like, that raunchy or that violent that could work as a PG-13 story. Not that many. So I feel like as long as they make those decisions carefully and, like, again, stay true to the characters, like, that's fine. Daredevil. Daredevil's the only other one I could think of where you could easily make a really good R-rated Daredevil movie, but he would work as a PG-13 character, too. Yeah. So, oh, so you're saying characters who, who tell the line between... I don't think there are that many, yeah, that, are like, actually fall under that category, you know? X-Force. Bucky. Yeah. Again, those are characters you could, but, like, I feel like X-Force would make so much more sense as an R-rated movie than a PG-13 one. All right, I think I'm, I think I'm, I'm clear on what, the, the way you're, like, I understand what you're trying to say. I got you. Yeah, yeah. Sorry if I, I didn't, like, express that clearly. Um... 
but yeah, I don't I don't think there are that many characters that like really exist in that Venn diagram in a way where like you risk losing a Logan in favor of a you know MCU like equivalent that's like more lighter and more right. like kid friendly like you know well to to that I think about like Ghost Rider Moon Knight sure but like Moon Knight's one of those characters like how many kids like are are gonna get that into Moon Knight you know like go for the R rating on that one fair enough and I feel like Go Ghost Rider like. I think he probably toes that line because if you do an edgy PG-13 movie and it's good, you could get in, like, edgy teenagers or whatever. But, like, an R-rated, like, super violent Ghost Rider, I feel like makes more sense. I'll have you know, Kale's funky flash fill fact of the freaking day, however that uh-huh. goes. Uh, Ghost Rider premiered 12 years ago today. Well... Dude, do you just do you just recall that or there it is? Kale's Phil's funky factoid of the day. Of the freaking day. <laughs> and that's Ghost Rider 2, right? Uh is it? It might be. One of the films was twelve years ago today, yeah. Might have been the first one. I don't remember. I went to see the first one in theaters. I think I saw both oh. in the theaters. Oh my god, why? Listen. That was the time I was the most excited to be a superhero fan. Now I'm me. Uh, yeah, I like Shit. Ghost Rider. This episode uh, is depressing me. As 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 for the the other half of your question, Sean, you asked if uh, Ryan Reynolds would be down. Oh yeah. I don't know. I really don't. I I think it depends on um on where he stands with the character. You know, if he if he feels like he's done what he wanted to do. I mean, they were already supposed to be doing another movie with him as Deadpool, so I I think he would definitely be in as long as it wasn't compromising on the tone, you know? Yeah, weren't they going to do uh, whatever X-Force. his team was? It Was it X-Force? Yeah. That's what makes it weird, though, because if they, if they keep Ryan Reynolds and they just move on with the Fox plans, then what else is this is staying the same? from the Fox universe. I I am adamantly against them keeping the Fox continuity in place. But if you don't keep it in place, but Ryan Reynolds stays as Deadpool, what do you do? Deadpool part one all over again? But I think I think Deadpool is one of those characters that lends itself to that though. I com- I completely agree with you, Kale. I think you could throw out every other thing <clears throat> excuse me. I think you could throw out every other thing from the Fox universe. Because, like, why wouldn't you? Uh, and keep keep Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool and just fucking insert him in the oh, MCU in some God. cutesy way. Well, yeah, and then and then have oh. and then have him address it. Oh, this is a war like two movie studios. <laughs> yeah, like have him break the fourth wall and like that. Like that's a thing you could easily do. You could, but what about what about future Deadpool films? That's the issue. I'd say you just recontextualize him into the. The new universe somehow you I know mean, he's fairly young and still super fit like yeah let him play it as long as he wants to all right fair enough and then hopefully hopefully the world gets tired of deadpool <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i'm not saying that that's necessarily what i want but i think if there's literally any character that you could successfully make that transition for it would be deadpool because that's like part of his character you know 
Like, and I feel like you don't even have to like directly address it. You know, like you could very much have it just be like Kale said, where he just pulls like a Bugs Bunny, you know, where he kind of like nudges the audience and makes a comment about something, you know, and it's like, okay, cool. Like, and then we just establish a new status quo. Yeah. Oh, man. I think I would die if that happened. Man, a man can dream. (laughs) (laughs) Might be able to get through one segment without you sighing. Oh, Let's oh move along God. to something that I, I would, think I would die harder than Pete's bowels when he's sick. That was uncalled for. When I say it, I'm joking about my pain. You, you're just throwing it in my face. Let's move on to something that I think uh, has probably already caused some people to die, and that's Conan the Barbarian joining up with the Avengers. For every time what? I every time I see. The word Conan, I think of Conan O'Brien, and I always think of how Andy Richter says his name at the the beginning. It's Conan! (laughs) (laughs) I've been reading this. I've been reading Conan as Conan, and it's messing with me. Yeah. It's it's definitely messing with me. Um, Can we get a Conan the Barbarian movie starring Conan O'Brien? Oh, I'd watch that a thousand times. Yeah. So we've got uh, Savage sort of Conan. And that, that actually just dropped. Um, and Marvel, you know, obviously reacquired the license. And they've been, you know, going in with, with Conan. And now he's going to be on an Avengers team called the Savage Avengers. And it's going to be written by Jerry Duggan with art by Mike Diodato Jr. Um, and the team is Wolverine, Venom, Punisher, Elektra, Brother Voodoo, and of course... Conan the Barbarian. This is the weirdest fucking thing ever. I swear I called this when they acquired the license. I don't remember. If Marco was here, he could tell me. I swear I said they're going to put him in a Marvel book. I know they are. They're going to make him a goddamn Avenger. I mean, yeah. If you called it, you were right. And I don't think it's even that hard to call, to be honest with you. Uh, Especially because he... I believe he was teased as being in the Marvel Universe um, as far back as when they acquired the license. Um, that wasn't that long ago, though. No, it wasn't. That's probably why I called it. <laughs> yeah. So, Jerry Duggan had a few words about this. This is an unsanctioned team of heroes. It has to be something that visually makes sense to you, and I think it does. Mike Theodato Jr. is illustrating this book in both worlds. We envision the threat, a magical green zone, where the evil wizards of Conan's world are trading spells with a hand in Japan. Conan is is on a very Conan-like mission. He's heard a tale of an amulet, so he's chasing it. And the evil magic sorcerers are doing something that would be a Marvel Avengers problem. It feels like we have found some very fertile ground that is a Venn diagram between those two worlds. It's cool that it's a Sonic crossover, too. <laughs> Wait, where does that come in? It's a Green, green Hill Zone. Oh, <laughs> Magical <laughs> Green Zone. <laughs> so, on its face, this is weird, right? Um, it's a good word for it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, this is one of the weirdest news stories I feel like we've ever covered. I think I'm at the point with Marvel where <laughs> I don't know about that, I probably wouldn't even buy this. Like that's where I'm at. But when you show me a cover by David Finch that's this good, and when you tell me that Mike Deodato Jr. is going to be doing the art, I literally cannot 
avoid buying it. I have to buy it. I just do. It's got it's got those old Thunderbolts vibes. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, like everybody like with the shadows and everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't know, man. Like, I, it's just weird. Like, it's a weird because this is like, I guess it's not on totally unprecedented, right? Like, we've had weird Marvel crossovers in the past, but like, I feel like they're not usually like in universe like this. Like, the fact that we're just like, yeah, Conan's a member of the Marvel Universe now is feels weird to me. Well, I mean, Angela came from Spawn. That's true. It's almost like Joe Caseta said to me at New York Comic Con several years ago. They're running out of ideas. <laughs> well, uh, Yikes. <laughs> I'm really intrigued by the inclusion of Venom on this scene. I think he's probably the character, him and Elektra are the characters that I'm most intrigued by. I think... Um, Venom's a wild card, right? Like you don't know what's gonna go on with him. He could he could play any role. And Electra, you just don't you can't trust her ever. So I'm really into I'm 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 honestly more into the team the more that I think about it. Because I have to buy it anyway, so might as well. I, I think the thing that's most funny to me is uh I you know, if you skim ahead in the article that we're pulling from uh, there's another quote where where uh, the um, it's it's explained that the first time that Conan meets Venom, he thinks he's a genie, an evil genie, yeah, <laughs> an evil genie. And I was like, yeah, all right, that's that's chill. I mean, that's pretty much what he is. I've read Venom before. <laughs> yeah, he's not not a genie. Show me show me where it says he's not a genie. Come on, Donnie Cates, Mark Bouchard, let's see it. <laughs> Come on, Mark Bouchard does not listen to this podcast. <laughs> Donny Cates, he's got Donny Cates definitely does. Well, yeah, he might. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, is this something that you guys are into at all? Like that you would that you could see yourself reading? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like on its face, definitely not. But it's such it's so fucking insane that part of me wants to check it out. Like. There's a, there's a quote at the bottom where it says, like, just give us one issue. I'll make you a believer after one issue. And I'm just like, you know what? Challenge accepted. Like, I Listen, just... if, I'm su- if I'm sat in a room and I'm given the option to watch one of those Hulu animated shows, the Loki TV show, <laughs> Deadpool in a Marvel movie, or read the Savage Avengers book, I am going to read the Savage Avengers book 10 out of 10 times. I'll give you that one. Yeah, I'll give you that one. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say, I'll kill myself with the, the Avengers book. Kale, I turned to you and say, hit me with this book ten times. Just knock me out. I'm sure you would take pleasure in that. I would. <laughs> well, I guess I'll read it and I'll let you guys know what I think. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. If it's if it holds If it holds a decent premise through a trade, I'll... Read it at a Barnes and Noble, at least. You'll, Honestly, the wait, <laughs> wait, the wait, 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 wait. You would go to a Barnes and Noble and just read it there and put it back on the rack. I mean, if it's good, I'll buy it. <laughs> You're a monster. That seems like such a kale thing to do. I like. It makes so much sense to me that you would say something like that. <laughs> also, to be fair, the closest the closest Barnes and Noble to me is like eighteen hundred miles away. So, I mean, wow. So actually, that's really high yeah, praise. Yeah, kind me. of. 
So if I tell you it's good, you'll go 1,800 <laughs> miles to read the book in a Barnes & Noble and then leave. And then make up as mine. And not pay. I mean, I'll buy a coffee while I'm there at least. All right. I think the funniest thing about this to me is I think if I, if I thought any of us were going to read it, I thought it would be Kale. Really? I'm I'm not into books like this. The The premise will catch my attention, but like this this sort of team just isn't it's not my jam fair enough so before we get into a little bit more news we've actually got another piece of mail uh this time from someone who you guys will be pretty familiar with grant morrison wrote to us no. Donnie Cates wrote to us? You beat no. you beat me to the punch. I was going to make a Grant Morrison joke. All right. Well, this comes from Marco. Boo. Uh, uh, yeah, right? Uh, uh, beans. I thought we were without him this week. I'm not allowed to have opinions when I'm not on the show, but we just fucking let Marco... He doesn't even have an, he doesn't even have opinions when he's on the show. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's the annoying thing to, to me is that normally Marco, we can't, he barely talks on any episode of the show. He sent me a five paragraph essay about how he felt about some fucking DC show, whatever. Should we even right. read this? I've got thoughts about that <laughs> DC show, uh, but no, we shouldn't. Uh. All right. Hey, chaps. Got around to see Doom Patrol, and I figured I'd give my hot takes. Why don't you try doing that when you're on the show, Marco? Whoa! I saw it with Mariana, and it was interesting getting her take on it as well. That's his girlfriend, for those of you who don't know. For me, it very much played on the absurdist nature that the comic did. A bit more uh, palpable for general audiences, but the intro to the show captured that. A bit dark, but with still within that realm of surrealism. We enjoyed how much they how they make each of the characters relatable in a tragic and tragic in a way. The show starts off by stating that these aren't your typical heroes, but rather zeros. <laughs> really really, Marco? No, this is a hey, thing that you wrote. You no, had time to prepare your thoughts. Le- legitimately? To his credit, legitimately, that's a line in the in, in the first five minutes of the show. And, oh, and this okay. is a show that people think I should watch, huh? It's st- still, we'll, we'll get into it. It's very good. Still, each character felt flushed out and one that fit in this bizarre world, including the Titans universe where you first see them. The show has bits of humor very similar to what Grant Morrison would write during his series, the comic from which the show took inspiration. <laughs> This sounds like an essay written by a fucking fifth grader. What the fuck? Uh, okay. Uh, a bit dry at times, but paced where it would lighten the mood to some of the heavier scenes. The best part of the episode is where they get to explore each character. Once they start driving the story, <laughs> it's it seems a bit contrived and not as interesting for me. I don't feel like the last few minutes provide a clear enough premise for me to want to continue, but Mariana said it was interesting enough to want to watch the next episode. I'm going to keep watching it because I can see where they are drawing their inspiration from. I'll only hold off a few more episodes before I expect the show to deliver. Otherwise, I may drop it. The Doom Patrol were one of the best part of the Titan show. That's what he wrote. Uh, but we'll we'll see if they can, if they can stand alone, and I hope they do. Your pal Marco. That reads like a book report. It reads like fucking Harris or Ryan wrote in <laughs> again. Oh my god, I I hate this episode. Phil is shitting on every topic. Kale's taking pot shots at our fucking fans. Shut up, Pete. Shut this up, is Pete. horrible. Uh, Marco, you're a little turd boy. <laughs> uh, 
let me tell you though, this little turd boy, he's right. <laughs> he's right. Uh, what did Doom, he say? Well, fair. Uh, Doom Patrol <laughs> is actually really, really good. I was very, very surprised. Um, I actually even liked it better than uh, uh, Umbrella Academy. Yeah, it's weird that two it's weird that two Doom Patrol shows came out the same week, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what's also um, weird? It's weird that Marco was off the show and elected to write in about a show we all didn't watch <laughs> instead of the one we did watch. Yep. Yep. That's smart. My dude slaps. <laughs> slaps something, that's for sure. Slapped us in the face. Yeah. Speaking of names that we don't call people anymore, he's a little slappy. That feels weird. I didn't like that. Mm-mm. That made me uncomfortable. Yeah. This entire episode is making me uncomfortable. You're not alone. What else did he say? Don't read that. Don't you dare read that. You gotta read He's it. not yes. here. He doesn't get it. P.S. Peter, I was right. Peter, goddamn him, Bessie. Don't you fucking do it. Don't you P.S. give it to him. Don't I you was do right it? about Batfleck. I don't have to be on the show to tell you to suck it, Kale. <laughs> Hope everyone had a great <laughs> Valentine's Day. <laughs> I like how he ended it with the I hope you had a good Valentine's Day after he told you to suck it. I mean, on Valentine's Day, I did. So. (laughs) Oh, shit. Whoa, whoa. I wish wish you guys had seen (laughs) Kale's face. That was something. Wait, what? Wait. Kale sucked it on Valentine's Day. What? So sometimes when a man loves a woman. Uh, Please go on. Please go on. Give us. There are things go on. There are things to suck. Fair enough. No, stop. I don't want Jess to. <laughs> Jess, Jess could literally beat all of us in a fight. Don't don't put her on blast like that. Dude, <laughs> this is too much for me. I just want to. She's like Mar- she's like Mark Bouchard. She doesn't want to be on the show. <laughs> Fair enough. That's not like Tyler right. So anyway, the reason that uh, you know we read that here is because unfortunately, as it turns out, Marco was right. Uh, I brought up a couple weeks ago that Ben Affleck did not officially retire as, as Batman. He now has. He went on Jimmy Kimmel Live to talk about uh, a new movie Gross. he's doing on Netflix called Triple Frontier. And he talked about how he is officially retired. Retired, He said, yeah, I am. I have decided. I tried to direct a version of it. Worked with a really good screenwriter, but couldn't come up with a version. Couldn't crack it. So I thought it was time to let someone else take a shot at it. And they got some really good people. Uh, so then on the Jimmy Kimmel show, they actually hung uh, Ben Affleck's bat cape up into the rafters. His his cape and cowl, they hung up into the rafters. Don't you have to achieve something for people to do that? Whoa. I mean, he was Batman. That's true. I guess that is an achievement. It's more than any of us can say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. So Phil can take pot shots at Seth Rogen, but I can't make fun of Ben Affleck. I, I mean, listen, oh, Pete, come down over there. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say he was a good Batman, but he was still Batman. <laughs> he was a Batman. Fair enough. What? <laughs> <laughs> Seth Rogen was the Green Hornet, guys. Come oh. on. <laughs> I was the Green Hornet. <laughs> still better than Ben Affleck's Batman. <laughs> Thanks, dude. <laughs> yes. I don't know about that. Ben Affleck's Batman was alright. Come on. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. He is fine. Yeah, he was fine. Uh, congrats, Marco. I, I, I hope you drink a glass of milk. Are you going to suck it or what? <laughs> That's what he asked you to do. I did. 
Okay. I, I already did. All right. I told him. Well, there you go. There you go, Marco. You can rest easy knowing that. Too bad you weren't here to talk about it. Enjoy your glass of milk, you piece of shit. Any thoughts about the actual subject matter? Or... Um, no, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I can't. De- I just, I can't. It depends on who's the next Batman, I guess. <sighs> yeah, for me, it's like this news is like, I'm just so emotionally done with this story. It's like, all right, good. Like, at least it's over. At least we like, we have the resolution. It's done. We know it's not him. We know he's not coming back. Like cool yeah Batfleck watch was a joke i made two two and a half years ago when we started this podcast i'm done with it all right uh well i just thought you know we could we could uh <laughs> eulogize ben affleck's take on batman and dearly beloved we are gathered to here today to oh, rest God. a cow <laughs> he, though he wasn't much of a bat man he was a man and he wore a bat costume Though we won't remember him for anything specifically that he did because the two movies he was in were so forgettable. We'll know that, like George Clooney and Val Kilmer, he was Batman once. The end. Well said, Phil. All right. I I guess we're moving on, I guess. All right, all right, all right, come on. I I think the thing I was kind of expecting, Sean, was for you to have us all audition for the role again so we could meet Canadian Batman. (laughs) That's funny. Um, Hey, it's New Jersey Batman! (laughs) I'm here! I'm so... I'm here to wear the cow! I'm so personally offended. (laughs) Hey, Joker, get over here! I'm gonna put a poor... I'm gonna put a pork roll in ya! That's not how pork roll works. Pork roll. Ah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Have you had too many hoagies? I've rarely felt this personally attacked on an episode. Shut of up, show. Jabroni! I'm New Jersey Batman! That's a Philly word! You're not even being consistent! Hey, Robin, you wanna stop by a Wawa? <laughs> We Let's go Wawa's. to Atlantic City. Oh my god! Gambor trust funds away. Does this make Chris Christie the Penguin? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. Oh, that feels like a dig at the Penguin. <laughs> I'm not Chris Christie. I'm offended. I just wanted to get to work. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Shut down the bridge. Wah, wah. <laughs> 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 Don't call me fat. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> oh, boy. <clears throat> wow. <laughs> you know what I want to see? <laughs> I want to see what, Batman. What do you want to see? I want to see Batman Returns with Chris Christie as Penguin, uh, <laughs> somebody from New Jersey as Batman. Um, help me out. Who else? Who's a seminal New Jersey actor we could get to play Jersey Batman? <laughs> hey, Batman! Bruce Springsteen here's the Joker. <laughs> It's like I always say to you, Batman, baby, I was born to run. (laughs) (laughs) 
why would Bruce Springsteen introduce himself as the Joker? <laughs> I fell in some chemicals. <laughs> that was it's like the worst Bruce Springsteen impression. <laughs> it sounded right to me. I don't know. <laughs> you know what, Batman? The two of us aren't that different. We were both born in the USA. That's the movie. <laughs> would you would you say that we're not so different, you and I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Alright. Let's uh let's, Oh let's move my along. god. Let's move it along. Uh so DC. Move Comics. it along here, Jersey Batman coming through. <laughs> Reminds me of that fucking guy from Spider-Man. Oh, my favorite character. Hey! You gotta mess with a guy trying to save a bunch of kids! <laughs> this show is, is devolving. I gotta... You we... mess with one of us, you mess with all of us, Phil! That's that's Jersey Batman's Robin. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so DC Comics has declared that 2019 is the year of the villain and has revealed some big plans for oh some of some of the uh, more villainous characters, including the Batman who laughs. Um, so <clears throat> DC is releasing a 25-cent, 32-page anthology that will drop on May 1st. Um, and it's going to... Free comic book day? Yeah, yeah. They're dropping a 25-cent book on free comic book day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you Capitalism at its finest. Me. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, well, I think on free comic book day, those books... Actually, free comic book day is... Um, is not May first. It's uh this year. It's going to be the fourth. Uh, yes. On free comic book day, the book will be free. You try to get it before that, it'll be twenty five cents. That's typically how it works because they've done tw- both Marvel and DC have done twenty five cent issues in the past, similar to this. Hmm. Is this going to be their their big uh, free comic book day book? I'm pretty confident that that's the case. The article by Polygon doesn't speak to that, but that seems like a pretty good guess. Um, so the book actually has an all-star cast of uh, creators that are involved. Scott Snyder is going to be writing for it, James Tinian, uh, Brian Michael Bendis, um, and then Yard's going to come from Alex Maleev, Jim Chung, Francis Manipool. And a sweet cover from Greg Capullo. So, um, really cool stuff. It's basically going to be just what they put out every month, every week at this point, in one book and for 25 cents. Well, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to tease out the future that this year of DC. So you're going to see stuff for Justice League, Action Comics, and Batman primarily. Um, so we're going to see Superman... St- sort of start his rivalry or continue his his war with uh, Leviathan, which Batman fans will know of because Leviathan was the main villainous uh, group in Batman Incorporated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting that he's gonna be, uh, they're going to be taking on Superman. Yeah. 
yeah. Um, I'm really intrigued by that, actually. I can't wait to see how that develops. Huh. Didn't they do this villain bullshit a couple of years ago? So they did it. They did it during. Oh God, what's that? Um, You're thinking of the uh, the the Jeff Johns Justice yes. League thing. Um, yeah, the when the crime syndicate came. Yeah, what was that called? Uh, was it Villain Villains United? That sounds right. V- Villains United. I don't think was the name. Was it the name of that? Forever Evil. Yeah, thank you, Forever Evil. Villains United was actually a. Uh, the Gail Simone yeah, book. Yeah, so, yeah, Forever Evil. Um, I think that's what you're thinking of, Kale. I feel like in the lead-up to it, though, there was villain something. Well, anyway. in the middle of Forever Evil, uh, all the heroes get taken off the board, and every book gets taken over by that book's main antagonist. That was cool. So, yeah. Aquaman was taken over by Manta, stuff like that. I'm pretty sure whatever year that was, was the year of the villain. Not sure. I would I would swear this has been done before. I mean, it's comics. And and recently <laughs> is is what I mean. And recently. Yeah. It's almost like superhero books are cyclical or something. Time is a flat circle. Uh yeah, I mean it's not a unique Just like the planet. <laughs> so, uh I don't know. I'm I'm interested in this. I like I like where this is going. Uh Batman who laughs is a fan favorite character. People really like him. And um, they're, they're obviously looking to do even more with him, which I think is cool. But they got to be careful because um, he—it's <clears throat> one of those concepts that can easily sort of get worn out. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's just edgy enough that people love it on face value. And <laughs> whenever a major publisher sees like, oh, people like this, let's run it into the ground. Yeah, pretty much. I want this for the cheetah cover. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but uh, now, what, can you describe that cover for me? It's just cheetah, just cheetah looking at the looking at me, you know. <laughs> Which is all Sean's ever really wanted. Yeah, yeah. I am. I love cheetah. I love Chester Cheeto. Where's that from? He's the Cheetos mascot. <laughs> oh, all right. It's great. <laughs> that, no. Dangerously cheesy. Any any uh, <laughs> any thoughts on this? <laughs> uh, this this cheetah cover is like th- as Matt Murray likes to s- Matt Murray. Oh, Jesus Christ. I don't know Matt who that Murphy is. likes to say this is furry culture right here. The goalie of the Pittsburgh Penguins, Matt Murray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, regular listener of the show. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't mean anything until it is something, I guess. And right. I'd like to see what they do with it. The biggest takeaway for me is the Superman Leviathan thing. On the face value, that's really neat. Yeah. Man, I, I really wish you would read Bendis' Superman. <sighs> You're asking a lot. <laughs> There's something there. There, There is. Really? There is. I'm like, I, I'm going to dive into all the back issues uh, this week because I, I keep hearing great things and I want to know what's going to happen with Leviathan. This is crazy. How, how many <clears throat> issues are we at now? Well, there's Superman and there's Action Comics. So between the both of them, you're probably talking somewhere in the realm of 20? Uh, about 20 issues between the both okay. of them. All right. Yo, I'm fucking we'll looking say. at this cover. Sean's a furry. You fucking kidding me? That's a a fucking furry. I mean, listen, hold on. Let's everybody pause because... 
Let's check the Discord. We're not we're not talking about a random individual dressed up in a costume. We're talking about cheetah. You're talking about an anthropomorphized cheetah. No, we're talking about a human mm-hmm. being who has developed the characteristics of a cheetah on not her body. Not in a body. cheetah suit. She's not Catwoman. But she's not anthropomorphized is- because she's a human. <laughs> mm, this is a this is a cheetah person. Sean's a furry. I don't think there's any gray area here, Sean. This is some furry shit. Nah. Look, hey, look, bro. Hey, look. No shame. It's 2019. Furries are legit. But, bro, you're a furry. I'm not trying to kink shame anybody, but... We We gotta work on our definitions here, guys. Okay. Listeners, write in... To decide whether or not Sean is a furry. How about we just skip this altogether? Because I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> this. This is one. This is one black mana cover from Sean going. Oh, dude, tentacle gang. <laughs> At that moment, when that happens, like I'm gonna like Phil. All right, I'm gonna trust. I trust Phil. If that ever happens, I need you to get a gun. That was your first mistake. I need you to get a gun, and I need you to come to me because you know where I live, and I need you to murder me. All right. Thank you. Because that's when I've gone to the dark side. I'm looking at this cover right now, and it just it looks to me like, mm, Sean, can you groom me? <laughs> that's disgusting. She's a, she's a cat human. <laughs> yeah. Listen, yeah. She's hey, a cat Sean, human. She can lick herself, that, Phil. That's don't, true. don't upset the furry community, Sean. I don't give They're a powerful. shit about They're any They're your furries. brethren now. They're your brethren now. It's fine. All right, we're moving on. Next but you're going to have to get in line with these terms. Or so, groom each other, I understand. Anyway. <laughs> I'm getting my gun ready. It's okay. Thank you. Tom Taylor. And, and yeah, one more thing. If we're ever going to get that one furry video game guy to come on uh, the video game pals and actually get us some, some damn currency, you're going to furry it up. Yeah. You hear me? Yeah. Who are you talking about? I don't know his name. I have not. no idea. He's talking, he's talking about talking Sonic about. Fox. Thank you. Oh, okay. Jesus, you want to you want to take shots? You don't even know who you're talking about. Come correct. Who's taking shots? Come correct. I'm all about the furry culture. I'm telling you, you've got to fall in line. So Kale's saying he's all about furry culture. Then you go fuck That's a cat. Leave me alone. <laughs> All right. All I want to do not the is furry. read You're the, the news. One that said. All, You're the one all... that said I'm all about Chitara on the fucking cover. Chitara is from the Thundercats. Oh all I want to do is read the news and get along with the show. Sean, I'm telling you, we need Sonic Fox's help, and you have got to. You, you're the one to get it. All right. Marco, come home. Now I'm gonna read this news piece about Tom Taylor and what he is currently teasing through Twitter, uh, an upcoming project he's got working, he's got going on at DC. He's using the hashtag deceased so d-c-e-a-s-e-d oh my god that's terrible deceased deceased <laughs> i am deceased <laughs> after this fucking podcast me too man uh so he's been he's been putting out various teases uh and and sort of hinting at the death of dark side and he used the phrase dark side was so, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, Darkseid is dead. 
Darkseid is deceased. <laughs> um but 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 no so this is really interesting because we actually don't know anything about it um they there has like i said there have been some uh visual teases there's an image of um superman hovering above the city assuming it's metropolis and people are like killing each other, throwing themselves out of windows, things like that. And Superman is just sort of watching. Well, it's Bird Box. Is that what happens in that? Yeah, Superman uh, watches people die in Bird Box. Oh, yeah, that's the that's the plot. Now, what I'm thinking with this, we don't know anything about it, right? But if this is an incontinuity event that Tom Taylor is working on, then I believe. That this is what was supposed to be the lead-in to Doomsday Clock. They're really fucking up heroes in crisis, so... Well, let me explain what I mean. So, Doomsday Clock is supposed to take place a year in the future of DC. And they always said that the DC Universe would catch up to Doomsday Clock. I believe this is what takes place to lead us to Doomsday Clock. I don't want to spoil anything, but there was a book published by DC this year that implies the demise of Darkseid. The demise of Darkseid is always implied. I know, that's like, true too. He literally died in, uh, oh my god, when did he die and he became a baby? That, that, that was, just that happened. <laughs> yeah. That was Darkseid yeah. War. Yeah, whatever. That just That was like three or four years ago. Yeah, and then there was when he got shot in, in Final, Crisis. Final Crisis. Final Crisis, but before that was the freaking uh, uh, Sterling book, uh, Starlin book, where the death of the new gods, where he dies and gets put into an old man's body or something. <laughs> it happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think the Legion of Superheroes kills him, too. There you go. He just dies. Darkseid dies. Why is everybody so afraid of this guy? He just dies all the time. Would you say that he is deceased? <laughs> no, because they keep bringing him back. So, if I'm right, that's kind of weird because Doomsday Clock had, like, it was supposed to already be done. And so. Oh my it, god. Yeah. So, I'm wondering. I wish, I wish we could find this out, but we, we probably never will. I'm wondering how. Doomsday Clock being delayed as much as it has been impacts the rest of what DC is doing. Because Heroes in Crisis is a thing, right? And that's not done. But I wonder if Heroes in Crisis is like book one, Deceased is book two, and Doomsday Clock is book three kind of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's interesting. I I could see that. I don't know. We'll find... It's hard to speculate on something where so little of it is out in the, in the yeah, context of this. Yeah, for sure. I just, I just wanted to talk about it because I, I, even though there's not a lot of information, it just feels like the spirit. I feel the spirit of Doomsday Clock in this. You know, sort of, you know, watching Superman see everything bad happening around him. That could explain why he hasn't really been a part of Doomsday Clock too much. And, you know, why there's this distrust in heroes, maybe because, you know, like, there's so many things that could that could be going on here. So I just wanted to, you know, talk a little bit about that. But 
Yeah, I think I think the thing that 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 has me thinking about is like if that's the case, what about this event? And I don't mean like it as a comic event, like this event in the the context of the DC universe would lead to Doomsday Clock. Well, what we know right now, especially in like Heroes in Crisis, you know, Superman just gave that big speech about whatever the fuck that was about. <laughs> Uh, and you know everybody's already on edge because because all that information was leaked by Lois Lane. Huh. So I, I so what I mean is that's like that could be like a first step to whatever this is. Yeah, man. There's a lot of there's a lot of ways this can go. I just I just find it really interesting, and I'm excited to see whatever this is. What I what's a little weird to me. So, for those of you who aren't familiar with Tom Taylor, uh, Tom Taylor actually did the Injustice comic books, and he's also not a uh, he's not a uh, exclusive writer for DC. He writes for Marvel as well, and so would they give a non exclusive writer the reins on a an incontinuity event? I mean, it's possible just because, like you said, like, I mean, he did Injustice, and that was a big book for them for a long time. So, like, obviously, they have a good relationship with the guy. Like, I think that's a good point, but I I don't know. Like, I guess I don't see why not. When's the last time DC gave the reins to a non-in-house writer uh, to a major event? I, I honestly I can't, can't recall. Yeah, I can't think of a time where that ever happened. Yeah, here lately, it's been Gmo or John, Jobs. Jeff Johns. Or Tom King recently. Yeah. Does he have anything ongoing with Marvel right now specifically? Yeah. Uh, he's working on uh, Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man and uh, X-Men Red, but that just ended. But Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man is happening and, now. And, and Bad Avengers, which is like Injustice, but for the Avengers. Not following. I don't know what you're talking about. I would I would argue that he, that because of Injustice, they know what he can bring. Um, so I, 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 I don't necessarily think it's that big a deal because they, they know that he has the talent and can bring the hits. That book had a lot of crossover appeal to a non-comic audience. Yeah. Like a ton. I think that's why it was so successful, you know? Um, yeah, I wonder if maybe he's like they look at him of a creator of enough merit that it's worth it's worth giving him the reins to something without locking him down with an exclusive contract just because they want because they think he's the right person for the job, you know? Yeah, he might not even want an exclusive contract. Right, right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is like yeah. maybe they want him in it, but they can't get him. But they're like, hey, we still want you to do this book. Because we know, like you said, we know you can bring the the fire. Yeah, it's it's, it's genuinely it's genuinely one of those things where I would be if you told me that DC was going to hand hand the reins over for an event of theirs to a non contracted writer, like a non exclusive contracted writer, I would say that's not going to happen. But he's getting to play with Darkseid and Superman, and it's I mean. Until he says otherwise, I'm believing this is in continuity. So we'll see. Uh, so in more DC news that I think um, I think we're gonna have a field day with DC 
slash Vertigo has canceled Mark Russell and Richard Pace's second coming. That's a downer. More like second going. <laughs> hey. Cha cha. We talked about. Ooh, wait, go ahead. Is this the? Is this the second book that's been canceled out of that new wave? Uh, no. Because Border Town is gone. That's true. Was the, oh, was that part of this too? Yeah, yeah, it was part of Vertigo. Okay. Then yes, man, I am a genius. Well, I'm, a com- I'm a comedy god. I want to. I want to talk that about that. Wasn't a joke as much as it was a fact. Yeah, okay. I'm not sure the comedy element there. Um, I, I do, do want to talk about that, and you bring up a good point. So first, let's tell the story here. Um, we talked about how you know there was a petition for them to not release this book and different things like that. Um, and we we all thought that there was no way that DC would give in, um, but they have. They decided not to publish the book, and I would imagine that it's strictly due to the out outrage um, that different news outlets and you know Christian people had about this book. So Mark Russell went on Twitter to talk about this, and he had this to say: "The DC slash Vertigo cancellation of orders for Second Coming. Just so you know." DC did not do anything untoward to me. I asked for the rights back, and they gracefully agreed. They've been a pleasure to work with, and and it will still be released, albeit with a different publisher. Interesting. Now, why would why, what would be the interest for DC to give up the license of that title? Because, I mean, I, I feel like it totally makes sense. Like, no, but why? No, let's follow the thread of thought. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think for DC, right, like this is a... It's a losing game, right? Like, there's no scenario where they walk away from this where they don't look bad on some level. Bingo. Because they either they either put this out and they get a ton of backlash from Christians and potentially lose sales or get bad press or whatever, or they kill the book and then they're kowtowing to pressure from extremists. Yep. You know? Uh, which is also not a good look. And then you're also fucking the creative team who put all this time and effort into the book. So for them to be like, look, we're washing our hands of the whole controversy. You take the book. It's yours. Go take it somewhere else. And good luck to you is, I think, the best case scenario for them from a public relations uh, perspective. Because here you are. You have the creative team saying, hey, I loved working with DC. I get their decision. We're going to take the book somewhere else in another direction. You know? No hard feelings. So that becomes the story. That's the narrative now is, oh, this relationship didn't work out. Okay, no problem. Rather than us being like, man, I can't believe DC, you know, like if if, if it had been the other way, I'd be lambasting them right now. I'm still disappointed in them, but this is about the most amicable way they could have tried to dodge that bullet. Well, my question is, is it sincere or is it? Because they know what Pete just said is the win-win-win solution. I mean, I'm sure it's both, right? Like, why not? Like, I think, like, you'd be hard-pressed to sit down in a, a strategy meeting and not see the value in this decision. You're not fucking this creator who you seemingly have a very good relationship with. Maybe he'll want to work with you again in the future. Obviously, they thought that he was talented. You maintain that relationship. He gets to publish his book, and you don't get the flack for it. Well, that let it be images problem. That I think is a really good point too. Is that Mark Russell's a creator that they now he's he's worked on uh, the 
what was that book? Uh, the the Snagglepuss. Snagglepuss. Thank you. He worked. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He worked on Snagglepuss. He's working on Wonder Twins, which, by all accounts, Just came out. is really good. And that's a book, obviously, that they want to do well. And then Second Coming, they obviously had high hopes for because it's it's in that echelon of books that they're really trying to uh, push, the vertical books. So screwing him over is bad for them. And I don't think you want him to be going on Twitter and, and everywhere else saying, hey, you know, DC really did us dirty here. Now we can't ever publish this. I think it's it's best for business for for, Dis- for DC to just let them go. Yeah. And again, like, I'm sure that there's some level of legitimate altruism in here because they've been working with this guy and they have a good relationship with him. Like, you don't want to fuck him over. Yeah. You I'm know, sure it's that, like... I'm sure the editors and the people, you know, in charge of the, the book publishing, the, you know, his immediate team or whatever are genuinely upset to see this book go. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I honestly, I feel like DC found themselves in a, you know, a situation where there was no way where they come out without losing money or face, you know, and like they they chose the path that seemed the least painful for all parties involved. And ultimately it is because now they don't have to deal with the the backlash and he still gets to put out his book. It's hard to argue with that logic. I don't like it, but you're right. Yeah, I'm not happy that they made this decision. I never like to see people crumble to the demands of, you know, an extreme group and a, and what's a, a group of people that are probably not mostly actual comics readers or anything like this. This seems like it's totally motivated by wanting to avoid bad publicity and bad press. And like I like that feels like a really shitty move, but in the same breath it's like they're a huge business owned by another huge business owned by another huge business so i'm not exactly expecting them to take principled stances when it comes to issues of censorship it's just wild though that the company that made preacher you know is stepping up to cancel this book i feel like it was such a different time when preacher came out though like there i'm sure there was controversy around preacher but like you think about like the current environment that we're in and it's like back when Preacher came out, if you weren't reading comics, were you aware of Preacher? Whereas now you don't have to read comics or know about comics to be in some fucking like pissed off Christians Facebook group. Can you believe this blasphemous comic? Let's write a petition to DC. Like that's how it works now. You don't have to know or anything or be engaged in it to like have an opinion on it and be as Sean likes to call him, be like a fucking keyboard warrior. You know, like, yeah, it's clearly what happened. Yeah, without question. Um, it's bullshit. It does suck. At least we will see the book come out eventually. That part's cool. Yeah. Because um, that was my first reaction when I saw this headline was, oh, fuck. Like, cool. This book's going to get canned because a couple people are mad. Right. You know, and like, that's the worst. But hey, like, I'm sh- I'm sure it'll end up at Image or like Boom or somewhere else and you know, they'll thrive on the controversy. Good. You know how many more people are going to pick that up? You know? Yeah. It's honestly probably going to be a bigger book now. So, maybe it's a blessing in disguise. Frankly, more money in the creator's pockets, you know? Pro- like, probably. Yeah, right. Bigger cut. Yeah. And if it's successful and they sell movie rights or whatever, like, all that shit, you know? like Get Seth Rogen in it. Oh, God. Totally. <laughs> Dude, great idea. 
He could play Jesus. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, it's not like he produced a really successful adaption of Preacher or anything. There you go. Uh, so keep that in mind as we move into our next topic, which is that DC has announced delays for Doomsday Clock and Batman Damned. Uh, so Batman Damned was going into its third issue, which was originally set to go on sale March 27th. Um, and of course is the first actual black label miniseries. We've talked about how some books have been sort of, um, adopted. Like grandfathered in. Yeah. Into the black label. Um, and the re-releases of those books haven't even happened yet, but Batman Damned, go ahead. Sorry. Didn't some come out this week? Which ones? I'm not positive. I'm not positive. So while you look that up, uh, Batman Damned has been marred with issues. The first issue obviously featured the Bat Dick, which we've talked about. And Hell yeah. Uh, Is caused... that why there's a delay? So the, Gotta airbrush those dicks out. The theory when it comes to... <laughs> The th- like there was going to be a dick in every issue. This is a huge problem for us. <laughs> well, they thought the third the third issue they'd have a dick in every panel. The theory is that whatever the content was in the second and third issue caused Lieber Mayo to have to go back and repaint the book. That's <laughs> you know that's a lot. Um, Interesting, especially for an artist of his caliber. He's painting every page. You know, to yeah. have to go back and even repaint one page or however many panels or whatever, it's a lot of work. And so that's the theory there that, that that's why this has happened. Um, Doomsday Clock, on the other hand, has been delayed until March 6th. And this we're going into issue 9. The last issue of Doomsday Clock came out the first week of December. It's been a while. So that'll be three yeah, months. Been. Yeah, it's been a while. You went you went for two different songs right there. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah. The reason why I, I kind of put these two subjects together is, is it actually goes back to something we talked about on the show a few weeks ago, which is that DC's special projects have all gone bad. Um, no one talks about the Sandman stuff at all. No one cares. Uh, Vertigo has... wild. Yeah. Vertigo has gone absolutely nowhere. Sideways. And Black Label, every book has been delayed. The the only one to actually come out is Batman Damn. That's been mired by delays. And then every other book that was supposed to be out hasn't come out. So what is going on over there? Uh, New Frontier was actually was supposed to come out this week under the Black Label. Gotcha. There. I don't know if it did or not, but right. So, but but yeah, but there you go. These books just haven't been coming out, and it's kind of weird because even though they've talked about yeah, these are going to be evergreen and you know they'll do great elsewhere and and, and different things like that. That's all cool. But how is that affecting DC's slate of books that they actually want to release? You know, we talked about how how little books they're publishing at this point. We talked about that a few weeks ago. This is a big reason why. I I wonder what this big staff change and layoff thing has to do with it, too. It may be nothing, but I can't help but see those as 
somewhat connected. Sure. Yeah, I mean, we kind of talked about it a little bit a week or two ago, but with all the odd things that were happening at the top of uh, DC Comics and DC Entertainment, uh, with all these delays to all these you know smaller alternative labels it's it i don't think doomsday clock falls into this i think that's probably just gary frank um needing more time to do what he does best which is create amazing shit but everything else um it, it's just that developing story of like what the heck is actually going on there yeah yeah they wanted to push back doomsday clock even more not that long ago so what do you mean there was that uh they announced that they were they were going to put more space between the issues and then there was a big fan outcry and they were and then they were like oh okay never mind listen i'm i'm personally very fine with just letting uh jeff and gary take their time with that shit yeah 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 sure 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 but <laughs> they, op- like for, for they, that book it's the opposite of what pete said earlier where it's like finishing is more important than perfection with this book perfection is important <laughs> yeah we, yeah, I, I, I genuinely think this this book will make or break whatever DC does soon because uh, that's wild. But but my point is, like, Gary Frank went in and asked for more time, and then because of the backlash, like, they couldn't give it to him. And so now we're stuck with delays, so... I just don't understand it. I don't understand how this a book this important... A book that they were shaping the whole future. I mean, this is the end, theoretically, of what they started with Rebirth, in terms right. narratively speaking. So how the hell do you let it go this wrong? Like we've we've and I and I still feel this way. I'll wait for quality. But sure. when you have a creative team like this, when you have an artist like that, and, and a book this important, how do you not wait six months to start the book yeah. to give him that much more lead time so that this doesn't happen? That's the big thing, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, Sean, you brought up the conversation we had about the, like, shuffling of chairs at DC and everything. I think, like, that's got to be what's motivating that, you know, is that, like, it feels like things are just disorganized over there right now. There's a lot of great talent. There's a lot of great ideas that are not even just circling around, but that are, like, committed to. And it just feels like they really don't have someone to, like, steward the the ship they need vision <laughs> yes you know what? it's clear we saw it last week the issue is that dan didio and jim lee are too busy eating mcdonald's and burger king <laughs> oh god too busy sitting on their asses arguing with wendy's <laughs> <laughs> i don't know it's just it's just really crazy to me we've talked so much about um the importance of this book and these books and the fact that they can't get it together to not have these big of delays is, is wild. And and it's not just the Wednesday clock. You're talking about an entire line of comics. They built their entire presentation at, what was it, at um, at uh, New York Comic Con, right? Yes. Around yes. Black Label. Yeah, I mean, what, I mean, this was true last year, too. Like, I remember when we talked about New York Comic Con 2018 or 2017 and how it seemed like DC had this really bold direction they were going in, both creatively and financially, and everything just hasn't been able to go... Uh, they haven't been able to turn the ignition. It's just the, the engine will start. I feel like right now, 
they're at this position where yeah, like the ignition is is a problem, but the remix to ignition is like <laughs> that's a clear. bigger problem. Yeah. That's a much bigger problem, Pete. <laughs> no, okay. So, but, but, but in all but in all seriousness, uh, I I feel like the path forward for for them is like it's not. It doesn't feel like it's that far away. It just feels like they're trying to do all these things at once, and that all the projects are just being mismanaged. Because you have to think, like, in the last two years that we've been talking about, like, there was kind of the rise and then, like, quieting of Young Animal. They brought in Bendis, and he launched, like, five fucking imprints. They did the relaunch of Dark Horse. They're doing the Sandman stuff. You know, uh, they're doing Doomsday Clock and... You know, whatever four other events that they have going on at any given time. It's like there's been a lot going on at DC. And I feel like none of it has felt like it's been handled super well because there's just so much going on. And like for whatever reason, they're just not they don't seem to have the right people behind the scenes. The talent is there. And I think the publishing initiatives, I stand by the fact that a lot of them are great ideas, but then like, they've also had like the partnership with Walmart. They had the controversy around like what happened with the Tom King issue. Like, I feel like it's every other fucking week they're putting out fires. And when you're constantly putting out fires, it's not that easy to write the ship. Yeah. Yeah. I want, I wonder if some exec came in and saw this, uh, this, uh, Mark Russell and second son situation and went, Nope, don't need that. Get rid of it. Do what you got to do. <laughs> I think yeah. you're right. But what I also think, when you look at what the books are for Black Label, when you look at, you're talking about Batman Damned. Okay, fine. That's happening. Superman Year One by Frank Miller. And I haven't John heard anything Romita about Jr. that in a while. We haven't heard hide nor hair of that book. We haven't. Those are not month-to-month creators, right? Mm, yeah. Um, and that book... Frank Miller's like a thousand. Right. That book was supposed to have come out already. John Ridley's got the other history of the DC Universe. That book they've been talking oh, yeah. about forever. That was one of the... We talked about that so long ago on this yep. show. Completely forgot about that. Batman, Last Night on Earth, that's coming from Snyder and Capullo. That's whatever. That could come out at any time. Batman Three Jokers, Jeff Johns, I feel like we've been talking about that book forever as well. Mm -hmm. They announced that shit like years ago. Yeah. That there were three Jokers and there was going to be some story about it. And and it's just like, what what are we doing? That that, uh, speaks to Sean's greater point here, which is uh, the whole three Joker thing tied up with the whole the button, which came out two years ago. Um, And this whole rebirth initiative. It's just everything feels like it's on delay. I feel like Fabok has posted panels and pages and stuff here and there. I'm sure he's working on it. Jokers, yeah. I I I'm, I wholeheartedly believe that. What I don't believe is how it could be taking this long to get books out that you previewed, you know, forever ago. And and you know, I want to make this clear. This isn't me being. I want my books now. It's not about that. I really don't care in that respect. They can come out whenever they come out. It's more just about looking at DC in the bigger picture and going, what is happening? Yeah, what the hell's going right, on? Right, that they can't get these books out. That's all it is. Well, to me, it, feel, it feels like it's clearly a problem with editorial. And whether that's because 
they're disorganized or they're not putting enough pressure on their talent, you know? Cause like, I think, um, I think a, a lot of times when you talk about art, the kind of powers that be get a bad rap, you know, for being like, Oh, it's like, you know, there's two, there's, there's the creators and then there's the money grubbing, you know, publisher or, or the, the editors or the producers or whatever. And like a lot of times, realistically, those people are what make something actually get made. Cause you know, I think like anybody who's made something or knows creators personally knows that like sometimes people do get precious about things. So like if Gary Frank had it his way, he'd probably have six months to do every issue of Doomsday Clock, but that's not how you put out a comic. So like it could be an issue of them biting off more than they can chew, but it could also be an issue of them like not following up with their creators in a meaningful way, not setting up a tight enough timeline or announcing things way before that they were ever going to get started. You know, because like just because that there there was an agreement to these projects doesn't mean that these other creators weren't wrapped up in other things or like have other stuff going on in their lives. And like these things are like maybe not enough of a priority because there wasn't a tight enough timeline or there weren't clear expectations being set. I would I would postulate the other way. Um, having having been as close to an editorial team as I was, as well as seeing you know f- firsthand what the the powers that be can and will do to change their mind at the the drop of a hat and justify it by by the money, I think uh, stands to reason a little more, especially when they're shuffling chairs. Because I I would I would argue that editorial is probably just putting out fires where they can, and especially when you're cranking out you know as many books as DC is, and it's not you know it's it's not as many as Marvel, but it's still a shit ton of books. I I would bet editorial is just trying to keep up. Let's give them a call. I, I'm inclined to agree with you kill i'm inclined to say that this is uh this is just one of those situations where editorial has their hands tied because they can't do much these creators don't need this you know it's not a situation where like gary frank is not living in i mean i don't know his financial situation so I i shouldn't imply that i do but i would imagine he's not living and dying by getting doomsday clock number nine out when dc wants it out um, neither is Frank Miller. None of them are. Frank, Frank Miller was just it at Angolan. So, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a wild situation, but um, I I really hope that that this situation resolves because I want to see these books out. I want to see them succeed. I want to see DC succeed. The whole reason we're talking about this because it sounds awesome, and I want to see them live up to the promise. So we'll follow the story. So. Before we close out, we're going to talk about Umbrella Academy. So we we agreed to watch the first episode of the show, the Netflix show. Um, And, uh, you know, obviously it's based on a comic book that I think we've all got some familiarity with. Is that right? I'm aware that it exists and who it's by, yes. (laughs) All right, fair (laughs) enough, fair enough. (laughs) Uh, So obviously Gerard Way, Gabriel Ba, uh, great creative team. Behind the book, uh, the show, 
obviously uh, plays off of the book um, and the first arc, the first series or whatever of the book. Um, and we're just going to review the first episode and see how we like it. If we like it, maybe we'll do more. Um, so what did you guys think of the first episode? It covers a lot of ground. It does a lot of um, does a lot of catching you up to what's happened in the series because this is very much a lived-in world. Um, so where did you guys land on this one? I really rolled my eyes when uh, Black Parade was the theme song to open the show. I was like, oh, okay, Gerard Way, of course. <laughs> can we please, can we please, one segment, Phil? <laughs> oh, okay, you're bullshitting. I was yeah. like, wait, what? <laughs> Although I will say, uh, I, I watched the first episode with my girlfriend, who's a huge My Chemical Romance fan. And, uh, oh, imagine and- that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's a dig at her or me, but either way, I didn't appreciate it. <laughs> um, but that the the it's full spoilers, yeah, right? Like absolutely. We woo. That the last scene where they show the number five going to the future, and like the uh, the camera was like pulling out. She started like like humming the bar from Black Parade, and I was like, this does look a lot like that music video. <laughs> But yeah, I to answer your question, Sean, I, I like this first episode. Uh, it, it, it got me interested because I didn't know anything about Umbrella Academy except for the fact that it was like by Gerard Way and that it was like um, very well received at the time. You know, I remember it being like a fucking moment that it was like, oh, this, you know, indie book, even though it was not really indie, um, like won an Eisner and it was a big deal and it was his first book and whatever. So I was aware of the hype around it, but aside from like some promotional material, I didn't really know much about it. So like I thought it did a really good job of setting the stage of like these are the players and this is kind of like a loose understanding of some of the rules of this world, you know, and like where we're at in terms of like who has powers and like where is science at and all that kind of stuff. Like it had to cover a lot of ground. And in the beginning of the episode, I found that to be a little bit jarring because it felt like it was moving so quickly. But I think by the end of the hour-long episode, I thought it had done a really good job of answering a lot of my questions where I was like, who's that? Why is this happening? And what's this? But it, it had given me enough answers to feel like, oh, okay. Like I, I, I feel like my feet are in this world enough that I – and I want to move forward and it's not like I'm moving forward to get more questions answered. It's like, I want to know more about the actual plot, you know, rather than like, why can't this monkey talk? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Can we Sorry. take a second? Sorry, chimp. That's a good looking monkey. Oh yeah. That, those effects were legit. All right, guys, guys, wait, guys, wait, Sean, what did you think of the chimp? Did you think it was good looking? Oh, I loved it, dude. I loved it. Um, you guys know I'm I'm way into animals that can talk, and where it's not a joke, it's just what it is. And it's just a, up my a, a chimp butler. Yep, <laughs> fucking furry ass. You stop it now. <laughs> Woo! No more of that. Uh, but yeah, man, I think this is a really interesting universe, and it's one that I'm I'm super into spending more time with. The fact that it's like just a ten episode season and not thirteen, I'm like perfect. That sounds great. <laughs> Netflix is uh, the Netflix Marvel shows have killed you, Pete. Yeah, it's almost like pacing's important or something. Unfortunately, they didn't have a choice in that matter. But 
Um, yeah, not blaming the creators. Not their fault. <laughs> Kelly, you're you're a you're a big fan of Gerard Way, and you really really like this book. I think, right? What do you think of this episode? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I gotta say, I didn't like it that much. Really? Um, I so I found. Thinking on Umbrella Academy, one of the things, and I had this discussion in the Discord, in the Longbox Discord with uh, Matt and a few others, Um, Umbrella Academy to me is is on on examination. It's one of those things where it's a property that I wish I could have more of all the time, and it's something I wish more than uh, I, w- I wish more could be done than what I've been given um, and I th- this show at least in this first episode really suffers from that for me um, I didn't How like do mean? I didn't like any of these characters at all hmm. do, do you like them in the book like what's different about them well, and that's that's another thing. I realized I don't really like the characters in the book either. <laughs> <laughs> I think, and and that's the thing. Like, it has a really cool concept. And it's got a concept that I really really like, but it doesn't. For me, it doesn't pay off, or it hasn't yet. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because I because that's interesting to me because watching this episode. I wouldn't say that I – I don't know. I, there are things about some of the characters that I liked, hmm. but I didn't necessarily walk away thinking like, oh, I love this cast for their personalities or anything like that. Like, But I that's not a thing that necessarily matters to me. Like I don't, I don't need to like every or even many characters to be invested in, in a story, you know? Well – I think I think watching this and then watching Doom Patrol did actually make me realize I do have trouble with that. I like to be able to like the characters in in a show because so in Doom Patrol, like they go out of their way to make you not like these characters, but also make you feel for them and also like like give you a point of view that makes you go oh okay that's pretty sympathetic i'm into that well the thing that that i think is interesting though is like obviously i didn't see this doom patrol episode but based on marco's email and then what you just said yeah marco's five paragraph essay uh and then what you just said i feel like it seems like they did a lot of that in that first episode of doom patrol which is like they didn't really do that at all in Umbrella Academy. Like, yeah, I, I, yeah. I got the impression that we're going to learn more about these characters over time. And so so the other part of that, of what I'm saying, is that's connected to that is I wonder if we're going to get more in the series, in the TV series, than what we have seen in the comics. I mean, I have to imagine on some level, because like you said, there's only, th- we're on the third volume of Umbrella Academy. 
it's only just common. coming out. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's present. It's current. Yeah. So like with that in mind, what's that 12 issues then that there are or 13 or whatever now? So like, it's not many, right? Like, yeah, not yeah. even 20, Tw- like less than 20 issues of a comic is not a lot of space to explore the distinct personalities of seven people. Yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, but in a 10 hour show, there's a lot more room for that. I I think when you read the book, you if you read the book, you feel differently. It's yeah. it's oh, I, that's I'm talking yeah. like with no yeah, knowledge base except this one episode. The the characters are defined, I would say, fairly well in the book. Uh, but it depends. You you might not like them. You know, like I I read Umbrella Academy a long time ago, and so coming back in, there was definitely a need for refreshing for me. But I started to get to a place where I was like, oh, okay, I remember that. I remember this character being this way. And there's definitely ones that I like, but there are also some that I don't like. And that's actually one of the strengths, I, I feel, of Umbrella Academy is that because there are so many characters, there's room for you to not like everybody. And it's more it's more about the style and the, the flavor and everything like that than it necessarily is about who you like and don't like, in, in a way. Like four kids walking to a bank. But the characters are way more defined than four kids. That book did nothing for those characters. How how did you find the style of the show versus the comic, as you remember it? That was actually one of the big questions that I had going into it. And um, it's not the same. It's definitely not mm. the same. I think part of that is because... Of things that are obvious, right? Like the comic can't have musical cues in the same way. And that definitely impacts and changes the way that you take everything in. Um, I also expected the color palette to be different. Richard? Yeah. Yeah. My yeah, my thing with this is it it felt like it wanted to be like a, a superhero Wes Anderson film, but it it felt like a knockoff Wes Anderson film. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. There's that one shot where they're all dancing and it pans out to like a model view of oh, the house. Oh, sure, yeah. I can see that. And, and and let me be clear, like that shot and there were several other shots uh, was beautiful. This, I th- yeah, I think the episode was really, really well directed. Yeah, uh, the, the the imagery that all that the show creates is top notch i i think i i think it's a very well shot show for sure but the 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 colors like you said and then like some of like some it of like the, a little plain yeah like it wanted to go that extra step but it also kind of didn't the, though I, I and again like i'm not trying to make excuses for it I, i'm just pointing out observations as they're coming to me like there was also a lot of very similar lit moments in this episode because of what time it was and where they were and what they were dealing with. So there's also like uh, like that flashback scene at the bank looked a lot different than every other scene. So that had me think that it might not be necessarily that the color palette is as limited as we think as much as that the sets were very limited for this first episode. Because it was like house at nighttime, house at daytime, backyard while it's raining. Those are all dark situations. Well, but also like the scene in the donut shop. It was... It but was, it's nighttime. 
Yeah. Hell yeah, Gritty opened up a donut shop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't gotten far. Like, we only watched the first episode, and there's a lot that happens in the series, in, in the comic anyway, that um, definitely gives there more reason to be color and different things like that. And I've seen promo imagery where they're actually in their costumes, and they're definitely a lot more colorful. So... I even felt like the scene in the future was more colorful. Like, I, I really do wonder if it was just, like, the sort of bottle episode nature of the pilot. Yeah, maybe. That yeah, maybe. limited what they were able to do visually, yeah. you know? Uh, how did you guys feel about the music? Uh, it was interesting. Uh, they had uh, they had Istanbul is not Constantinople at one point. I loved that. I loved that scene, man. I thought that was so funny. How did... Did did that song work for you in that scene? No, <laughs> like yeah, not really. Either. But like I, I like I didn't hate the choice. Like I, I thought it was weird. But it's like I don't know. I like they might be giants. I was like, this is a strange choice. But all right. And like that compared to the other scene, um, where they're all dancing in the house, right? Like it does. Istanbul, it didn't make sense thematically. I don't think. I I also didn't think that yeah i <laughs> i again i don't i don't think that the song worked in that moment but it but i liked it and like that doesn't mean it was good <laughs> like <laughs> i don't think it's meant to make sense thematically though i think it's meant to be like this is a very umbrella academy is crazy it's off the right. wall it's, it's not like it's not like other books or other forms of of entertainment in the sense that it doesn't adhere to a right. strict logic so the fact that they did things like that didn't yeah i was like wow that's weird but i was also like okay but this is umbrella academies so, so yeah so i i um i haven't read umbrella academy before i'm familiar with it uh i'm familiar with gerard way uh so i went in the, into this with really very little understanding of what this show was going to be and i was as i was watching it i was like oh this is doom patrol and i haven't watched the show for that either but i've read grant morrison's doom patrol and i watched this i'm like gerard way loves grant morrison he's just written doom patrol himself my dude loves doom patrol (laughs) and he made his own doom patrol uh and that's what this is and that scene where they're dancing and that scene where uh five is at the donut shop fighting a bunch of who knows who they are uh to istanbul I, mean, I, know who they are. I know you know um was very much some you know just some da da shit and i i could see what the intent was execution wise did it work i don't know i'm not sure um i will say the first half of the episode I I just I was I, I watched this very tired and I just wasn't very interested. The only scene that grabbed me in the first half of the episode was the, the was the hook at the beginning where yeah. they're in the Soviet Union in 1989. This woman has this immaculate conception in a pool. That was a really good hook because I was like, "What the fuck is going on?" <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I thought that was a really cool way to open the show. But then when it went bogged down the exposition that you know the the the, the father died and uh, reuniting the five of the seven which was fucking me up because i was like where are the other two and then the one you know disappeared okay i was like where the fuck's the seventh one it was really fucking me up the whole time 
Yeah, I had that. I had that same problem where I kept counting them yeah. when they were walking into a room. I was like, "Is there one I'm just forgetting?" Or like, "Yeah, no, okay, um, yeah." They also mentioned early on that there's 42 of these kids that just immaculately were conceived around the planet, and I kept thinking, "Like, oh, I guess we're gonna go fight 30 of them <laughs> at some <laughs> point." But because um, there's your excuse to have other superhero super heroic characters with superpowers, um, but. I wasn't grabbed again until five came back in time and a child's body. Cause it was like, okay, is he, did he like, did he just jump ahead 30 years? And now here he is. But it turns out he has like the mind of a 57 year old man inside this, what? 13 year old kid. And the acting by that kid was really good. Cause it, it didn't like, yeah. it, I feel like acting as a kid to try to act like an adult that has seen shit. That's a weighty ask. And I think this kid really pulled it off. And yeah, I liked him a lot. I that's when I got back in the episode because I think uh, I forget who said it either. I think Kale said it. None of these characters are likable. Uh, maybe Ellen Page is the most sympathetic of them, but none of these characters are particularly likable. This kid came in and it was a breath of fresh air. He reminded me of uh, Eli Roth <laughs> from like uh, every Tarantino film. <laughs> so I'm 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 interested to see where it goes for sure. And the, and, the, and, the, and the tease at the end, which is the world's going to end in eight days. And I don't know how it happens. Can you, I, you're the only one I can trust. Just like Sean can only trust me to put a bullet in his head if things really go bad. That's what this is. So you're Alan Page. Yes. I've been saying that for years. Interesting. <laughs> I'll, I'll say this. I liked it, but I only barely liked it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I don't know that that's gonna be the way it stays because I, I like I said, I really like the comic book, and this seems like it has a good pedigree to it. The acting's all great. There was nothing that stood out to me as bad, um, but it was what you are afraid of when you're talking about an episode one or an issue one or whatever yeah. like that. You know, um, where it really just has a lot to get through. And sometimes that can be a slog. And I think this time it was a bit of a slog. and um, But it gives you enough of what the show's going to be like. That if you like... Like if you like the random dancing. And if you like the talking chimpanzee. And if you like, if you like those things, watch it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Right? Let's get one thing straight. We're all on board for the talking chimpanzee. Look. Sean, it's 2019. Again, <laughs> furry culture is in. You know, um, you know what was very interesting was the mom. Because yeah. she was so tonally yeah. tone deaf to every scene because she's a robot, presumably. Uh, and I, Presumably? I mean, I feel like it's pretty clear at this point. No, They didn't say anything. I don't know. Maybe she's a cyborg. I don't know. She hasn't aged at all. I don't know. She could be in an, 17 years. She could be an android. Or how many years it's been. It's pretty easy to figure figure it out. And then she got charged through the year. I think she's a robot. <laughs> pretty sure she's a robot. Um, But the way she interacted with the other characters was very interesting. Is Mama all right? Yeah, she just needs a recharge. And after this long conversa- uh, confrontation between, what, Louise and Diego? I forget the number one and Diego. I know the other guy's name is Diego. Oh, number one is... Uh, uh, Luther. Yeah, Luthor. Luthor. Louise. Louise. <laughs> <laughs> he starts with an L. Um, after that confrontation that just 
turns everyone off. Diego's like, come on, man, let's go back inside. They're like, they've been down this road before. Yeah, so, like, I, I, I think I agree with the point about, like, I didn't find myself particularly, like, I thought, what was it, number four? Was he the one with the drug problem? Yeah. That's Klaus. I, Klaus. Um, Klaus, yeah. There, he had the most moments, I think, that made me, like, like him as a as a character, but not because he seemed like a good guy. You know, like, he made me laugh, whereas a lot of the other characters were very just, like, I feel I feel like especially uh, one and three, like, that's the two who fought, right? I'm yeah. still spacing. No, the one numbers. and two are the ones that fought. Okay, one and two. Um, they just both feel like they're very, like, similar, you know, in terms of, like, God, I'm like an angry man with like baggage. You they know? got that. Like, they got that Leonardo Raphael. Yeah, di- that uh, kind heat. of dynamic. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so it's like I I wasn't particularly like oh like I love any of these characters, but I did find their dynamics to be interesting. Like I wanted to know more about the history of the group and like how they got from you know a family of child soldiers to who they are today. So, like, I'll give it that. You know, like, I definitely agree with, um, I think, the general consensus where it feels like this episode was just kind of, like, um, it was a little slow because it had so much ground to lay. But I think, like, to Sean's point, it did a good job of establishing interesting dynamics and good, like, visual moments, even if they were few and far between that like got me interested enough in the world to want to like keep going, you know, like I wouldn't say that I loved this episode, but I think it did its job as a a pilot, you know, which was like, and I think maybe the reason that like, maybe it didn't work for you guys as well because you are familiar with the world and the characters. So like you didn't really need an elevator pitch for it. Whereas like I did, because I did go in with like no knowledge. I actually think, if I hadn't already read the book, I would have liked it less. Really? Okay. But that's, that's just who Sean is. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's probably particular <laughs> to me. Yeah. This came out at a at a different time in my life. I don't know that this type of thing appeals to me anymore. But because I have a history with it, I'm more open to, you know, see where this it goes. World. Yeah. What What do you mean by that? Uh the 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 style. And feel of Umbrella Academy appeals more to a 16-year-old My Chemical Romance <laughs> emo dark person that I was rather than the person I am now. So yeah, like the fact that it's like a Tim Burton-y, Hot topic kind of vibe. Yeah? yeah. Okay. I see. Yeah. But... Uh, um, and just, just real quick, uh, for real though, Doom Patrol is fucking good. <laughs> like really yeah, they should put it on a streaming service I want to buy. I, I'm i going to get through the season as I uh, steal Marco's password. <laughs> if Marco wants to give me his password, fine, but... I don't know, I just can't, I just, like, can't be bothered with those shows right now. I get it. Um, they need like 10 more really good shows before I'm going to plunk down 15 bucks a month or whatever <laughs> it is for yeah. DC service. So let, yeah. let's close out with this question. Is this a show... Will you continue to watch this unprompted, unsolicited by me, yeah. by this show? Will you watch Umbrella Academy? 
Yeah, I'm going to watch the first season, I think, at least, like, unless it, like, loses me in the next couple episodes. Like, I'm going to check it out. Like I said, um, you know, my girlfriend uh, is also interested in it because she was a big fan of My Chemical Romance back in the day. And she read Umbrella Academy when it was hot. And she was a, a young, impressionable, hot topic teen like you, Sean. Um, so, uh, so you're dating yeah, Sean? Like, uh, I, what? Well, I wasn't even I, mean, I, I can, never even stepped foot in a hot topic. I just want to point that out. Yeah. <laughs> They're hard to find in New York. Yeah, fair enough. Um, in the suburbs, that's the lifeblood of all young goth and emo children. Preach. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'm i interested enough in the premise and the pitch that they gave me in this episode that I'm going to write it out and see how I feel about it long term. Because uh, I don't think there's a better example for a show like, like this that I had this reaction of the first episode than Daredevil. I remember when I watched Daredevil for the first time, I was not into it for the first, like, episode or two. It wasn't until there was, like, um, I, we don't need to get into it, but there was, like, a moment that grabbed me where I was like, oh, fuck, like, this is so cool, I'm in. You know, and, and I think Umbrella Academy might have a moment like that for me in the next couple episodes. So I'm at least going to give it that much. Kale, will you stick around? Uh, yes, but at this point on on name more than content of the first episode. Right. Uh, Phil, will you stick around? I'm I'm really busy. I'm going to be watching those Hulu animated shows. <laughs> I, I know you're about to do your entire rewatch of Seth Rogen's catalog, too. So. <laughs> Dude. Um, uh, Gotta get those royalties, bro. <laughs> uh, I'm probably going to watch the second episode and see how I feel after that. Okay. As for me, uh, I probably will finish this, and I'm more than that. I'm actually excited to go and, and dig through my crates, as they say, and uh, read the original Umbrella Academy again. Yeah, I, I think I, I said that the show had kind of like put it back on my radar because it was a book I always meant to check out, um, and the fact that like I did watch this first episode, and I am so interested in like the lore of the world. Like, I, I think I might pick up the book as well. Could probably read it in a weekend. There's not that much of it. <laughs> All right. I don't even think it would take you a weekend. Depends on how fast he reads. Um, all right. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Let us know what you thought about Umbrella Academy if you've watched it. I, I can't say that I've seen too much conversation surrounding this series on the internet, but I'm also not on the internet that much looking for what other people think about stuff. So, um, yeah. If you guys. That's what he does this dumb podcast for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you guys uh, have any thoughts you want to share, you can always write into us at thecomicspals at gmail.com or you can hit us up on social media at thecomicspals. You can also, if you're watching this on YouTube, drop us a comment. While you're there, leave us a like, share this video with your friends, and subscribe to our channel. Let's do some plugs. Pete. Thank you guys so much for joining us here on another episode of The Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me on our sister show, The Video Game Pals, along with Sean. And you can also check out my work over at LootPots.com, where I cover all kinds of Nintendo news, reviews. I host their weekly Nintendo podcast, The Potscast. And um, we're starting to stream now, so twitch.tv slash LootPots, if that's uh, a thing that you're interested in. I'd love to have your support. Thank you. All right. Kale. You can find me at Toto in Toe on Twitter and Instagram. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. And um, you can find my comics on uh, Comixology under Panels Publishing. Phil? Well, hold on there, Phil. Joker Bruce here. 
Just wanted to plug my old friend Marco's stuff for him. <laughs> Take the Thunder Road down over here at social media. <laughs> and you can find him at Mr. Marco Animoto. <laughs> I feel like Marco might weirdly be into that. Thank you, Clarence Clemens. Rest in peace. <clears throat> wow, man, thanks, Bruce. And that, yeah, that's Clarence right. It's Clemens. Isn't that Mark Twain? No, that's the sax player in his band. Oh, I'm thinking of Sam, Samuel Clemens. That's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> Get me out of here. You can find me at Cyborg Bebop on all social media platforms. As for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about how sad you are that Bat Fleck is over. Sad reacts only. And uh, that's all. So that's going to do it for us here on the Comics Pals. Take care, guys. See you next week. I bet Mark Twain plays a mean sax, though.